When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast with the Cubs and Reds about to thrill the nation with the uh, second annual Field of Dreams game in beautiful Dyersville, Iowa. Actor comedian Mike Pusateri joins me and we are going to do a movie deep dive of, coincidentally, the movie Field of Dreams. (laughs) Mike, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's... uh... This should be really be called the, the Ricketts family field of dreams because they could field a great team and they don't have to pay anybody. Yeah. Ooh, can't we just, can't we get some dead guys to come out, crawl yeah. out of the cornfield and play for us for nothing? For free? Like, well, it's, yeah. You know that's what they'd want to do. Maybe that's what they did. I mean, maybe that's where they got Anderson Simmons and Jonathan <laughs> VR. Right. They just wandered in out of a cornfield. <laughs> <sighs> yes. So the uh, we found, we learned in the Carter Hawkins interview with Cole Wright a couple of weeks ago that the um, the Cubs are flying in on Thursday for the Field of Dreams game and then flying home Thursday night. They are spending the bare minimum amount of time in the state of Iowa, which honestly <laughs> I I don't really blame them. Yeah, can understand that. Although I do think it will be funny when they go to get on the plane in Dubuque or wherever they fly into, and they're like, Ah, uh, Frank. Not so <laughs> Frank, why'd you hang back here for a minute? <laughs> we got a David, golf cart here that's going to take you to, yeah, to Des Moines. Yeah. David Bodie's driving that golf cart. Why don't you stop <laughs> in next to him and he'll t- <laughs> you guys can enjoy yourselves here in Iowa. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's more hopeful. Uh, me being hopeful than anything. That, uh, yes. We're about to end the Frank Schwindel experience, but I don't, who knows? Right. So our goal today will be to make this podcast uh, about the movie more entertaining than the game. Yeah, that'll be tough. Should, shouldn't be that hard, but we'll see. Uh, so as always, um, you can uh, enjoy the Pointless Exercise podcast and the newsletter at PointlessExercise.com. You can also buy a lovely t-shirt or two if you want. And uh, Mike, how can uh, people out there in, uh, in the podcast world uh, see what you're up to? Hit me up on Twitter at, uh, at Mike Pusateri and on Instagram at I am Mike Pusateri. Okay, so the movie Field of Dreams was released in 1989, based loosely on a book, Shoeless Joe, by the uh, writer W.P. Kinsella, and adapted into a screenplay by the director of the movie, Phil Alden Robinson. Right. Uh, Let's see. Phil Alden Robinson, uh, best known otherwise probably for... Well, this is the movie he's best known for. He also directed... Sneakers. He directed The Sum of All Fears. Mm-hmm. 
with Ben Affleck, and during the filming of Some of All Fears, Ben told Phil, I've already been in one of your movies. That's right. In the Fenway Park scene, uh, two of the extras just sitting in the stands, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Their first film. They're uncredited. Yes. Yes. And did you know that Field of Dreams has been confirmed to be uh, adapted into a Peacock TV show? Did, did you know that? Oh, I saw that uh, they hired Mike Schur to, yes. to create it and that they since Rec. told him, we're not doing that. Oh, well, then you're up more, up more to date than I, I. literally I just saw, read like that I... last night. That he's oh, now, okay. They're now shopping it looking for a new... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whoops. I could be wrong, but it sounds like he... Well, my information is pre-last night, so I didn't know there was breaking news on this topic. I just I saw it in one of the in one of the as I was looking up all these facts. It was one of the ah. So how many Oscars was uh, Field of Dreams nominated for? I would I would I would I would hope none. It was nominated for three. Three. It was nominated for Best Picture. That's it was what the, were the o- other. It was the only Best Picture nominee that none of the actors or the director were nominated. <laughs> <laughs> That's unusual. It was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay, I'll give you that. And for Best Original Score by James Horner. Give me the score. It is a good score. score. The score I'll give you. It is I'll give you the score. score. I, you know, I haven't seen this movie in I don't know how many years. And before I started rewatching it, I, I thought, okay, I had in my mind, this is a good two and a half hour movie. It's only an hour and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty quick because yeah, you think of all the things that happen in this movie, you know, and you're like, oh, this is this is definitely going to be a couple two and a half hours of my life easy. But it's, it moves along. Yeah, it's uh, it's not on my list of greatest baseball movies. Right. Uh, I think it's, it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah, and we'll get to um, like I've been there multiple times. I've been. To oh, you have. Yes. OK. And. Um, it's a good movie and it's on a rewatch. It's surprisingly funny. Yeah. Like there are, and it's obviously, I mean, it has Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones and uh, Gordon Wittmeyer and, uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, Timothy Busfield. Right. And it's, it's well acted too. Burt oh Lancaster's yeah. in it for God's sakes. Absolutely. So it's James a good, it's a good James I've Jones never, I've never understood though. That apparently the, the grown men that it makes cry. You did not shed a tear. No, I don't, get it. It? I don't get it. Okay. I mean, I, I, I literally have played catch with my dad on the same place that Dwyer Brown and Kevin Costner played catch, and it was fun. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, didn't start weeping. He's now yeah. dead, and I still watched those two guys play catch and didn't want to cry. Um, hmm. I think the music has a lot to do with it. The the music is very touching in that moment. Yeah, I guess. If the music wasn't playing when you guys were playing catch on the field, then I could see. Or it could very well be that, uh, and we can talk this as we get to the end, but uh, it's more funny to watch Dwyer Brown try to throw a baseball and try to catch one with the old-time catcher's mitt. Yeah. (laughs) Which I also would struggle with. I give him, I'm not making fun of him for having a hard time catching the ball because that it's a fucking pillow. That's all they hand him. Yeah, those things are never flexible. Yeah, but he's uh, he doesn't look real. And there's a there's a, well, we might as well get to it. Now it's talking about. Yeah, he may have been emotional because what do you think he was doing merely days before he filmed his scenes in Field of Dreams? 
he was got me. burying his father. Oh my goodness! They actually had to delay that scene because Dwyer had to go, had to, you know, waiting for the funeral to get oh, stuff man. to wrap up. So Yikes. I'm sure it was yeah. a little more poignant for Dwyer than it was for me watching it. I'm sure so. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Yeah, we went. Um, when I, I can't remember if I told this whole fucking story. I remember this crap. I hope I didn't. But if I did, people can hear it again. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, mom and dad decided, hey, we're going on one more family trip before you leave the house. My brother and sister were both long gone, so it was just me. Mm-hmm. And they decided we were going to uh, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, great. It was like, <laughs> I remember we had to time it so I would get back in time for football practice, for the start of football practice. So, um, yeah. This was August, early August, about now. Hey, all right, all right. Corn's up. That was part of why Dad wanted to go. Then. We're, we're on our way to South Dakota, but we were going through Dyersville on the way. Okay. Because we wanted to go, he wanted to go to Phil Dream. So that, it was fun. Yeah. So uh, we hopped in the car. Dyersville is less than two hours from here. You just, it's about a half hour from Dubuque. And um, you drive out in the middle, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere on purpose. Right. And you come up the, you start to come up the road that you kind of feel like you recognize from all the headlights at the end of right, the right, right. and stuff. Right, the, and wind, then, the winding road, yeah. And then there just, there it is. There's just the, you see the house with the port swing and you know you're there and obviously you see the field. Did you have to pay 20 bucks? It's free, but they accept donations. Yeah, okay, very good. Yes, I, I guess people, they want people to just want to give them $20 without okay. even thinking about it. Is that a suggested donation? Does it suggest? I don't think it or... does. I think there's just a big okay. box and you just stuff money in it. And that was, gotcha. that was 31 years ago. Okay. So, uh, 32 years ago. So who knows what it costs now, especially right. if the rickets are, have you know, <laughs> given them some tips. Yeah. Do you guys, Aren't if I... you made this a federal landmark? No. Well, how about, <laughs> if, have you buried anybody under the field? Cause that'll get you, don't, you won't pay income tax on any of that money. Yeah. You know, have you attached a sports book to this field? We could do that. Maybe uh, maybe they're just going to bury Frank Schwindel alive <laughs> under first base. See? And then build a sports book over him. So then you, we went there. There were probably 70 or 80 people there. Okay. So you This is an uh, August August weekday, basically, yep. or like a Tuesday or something. Okay. Yep. And we, Dad and I went out. We played catch. Mom stared at us like, why are we st- – Standing in the middle of a baseball field in a cornfield. And you're like, you know, we're going to go stare at some rocks. And then you go in the house, is unsurprisingly day. a gift shop. So we went into the gift shop and bought some crap. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then piled in the car and went on our way to South Dakota. And um, as we were getting closer and closer to uh, to wherever Mount Rushmore is, Sioux Falls. City? Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you. Well, you see the wall drug signs everywhere. Yeah, how so many miles that. you are from wall drug? I remember that on my trip to Mount Rushmore. And you see some, and you see some Burma Shave signs. Oh yes. But you also, uh, we were there were a lot of motorcycles. Just seeing all these Harleys as we're oh, driving. Oh, there's yeah. Harleys. Oh, was it Sturgis time? Yeah, it turns out it was the 50th anniversary. Oh my, of Sturgis. Okay. And this wasn't in the days when you know you you didn't hop online and like book your hotels and stuff. That's just gonna figure I... that out when you get there. Yeah, you look for the the vacancy with yeah. the no that is not lit up, and then you're like, "Oh, cool, we could stay here." It's eleven thirty at night. Great. So we get we get uh, to uh, we go to the, you know the national park where it is, and it's even set up so that like you park and then there's kind of you go up this hill to kind of try to create. Then as you get towards the top of the hill, the grand reveal because you do yeah. see it coming in, but you never you don't get like a front look at the at Mount Rushmore. 
So we're coming up, and I'm like 17, and I'm like, oh, just shoot me. Can we just see the fucking rock and go home? <laughs> right. And we go up there, and I, I see all these people taking pictures. But they're not taking pictures of Mount Rushmore. They're, ta- they're, they're aiming much lower. Well, it turns out one of the bikers is standing there shirtless with his back to them, and he's holding his arms out. And he has this elaborate American eagle tattooed on his back with the wings going up each arm. And that's oh what my. they're taking pictures of. Okay. <sighs> we saw Mount Rushmore, and there really is some cool stuff with, uh, what's his name? Borgland. Gustav Borgland? Anyway, the crazy German that they hired to sh- shove dynamite in the side of the um, yeah. mountain and blow it up to make it look like four dudes. Right. And it is pretty interesting to see how they did it and how long it took and all that stuff. Yeah. And then you're just kind of, you're, okay, that was four hours. <laughs> now what do we do? We're in the middle of South Dakota. We went to, saw, they, they, you can go see Crazy Horse, not not Neil Young's band. You can actually see Crazy Horse. There's a monument. Yeah, I've done that. Another hill. I've done that. And we went to Waldrug. And I don't remember what else we did. Oh, I know we went, we went to the, we went to the Black Hills and we also went to some yeah. horrible tourist trap where you got to see a bunch of baby bears. It's very cute. Did you go to Deadwood while you were out there? Is, isn't that out there somewhere? Oh, probably. I don't even know. I don't know if we did or not. We I feel have. like we. I feel like when I went, we went to like a, a cowboy cookout or something. That was exciting. So then we, I don't know, we stayed a couple of days, and then back in the car, and on our way, and on our way back, we hit Dyersville again because it was on. Dad was like, "Hey, you want to go again?" Yeah. We, we he basically was like. We got to get out of the car and stretch somewhere and go play catch. So we did. We played catch again. And then a couple of years later, when I was in college, I took my friend Neil. He's a Sox fan and wanted to go, um, I don't know, maybe see if Shoeless Joe would come wandering in out of the corn. And we, so we drove out there and went. That was a much different experience because I was not nearly as hungover when I played catch with Dad as I was when I played catch with Neil. Um, right, right, pretty right. Much, pretty sure we were drunk uh, while we were there because we hit a couple of uh, we hit a couple of taverns in between Dubuque and uh, Dyersville. I don't remember where we went. Mm. Um, so, yeah, much different experience that time. So I've been there three times, and I'm probably not going back. Okay. Had my not going for the big game this week? You're going to s- save your uh, – I-, I imagine tickets are a bit higher than $20. Yeah, Crawley's going. Big shot. Yeah, so Crawley's going. Sucker. He can, the Cubs can sucker him into anything. Um <laughs> What do you say? He's paying like four hundred bucks for his tickets, something like that. And I think that's a deal, right? It's a, it's like some kind of deal he got. I thought, I, yeah, aren't they going for like eight hundred minimum or some crazy amount? I don't understand I, the uh, Major League Baseball rewarding the Cubs with the Field of Dreams game this year and the London game next year. It's like you're making it very easy for them to not bother to try to contend if you keep giving them these. Pardon the pun. Marquee <laughs> events. It's like, how about you tell them, look, we're not giving you an all-star game, and we're not sa- we're not giving you a field of dreams, and we're not giving you the London thing until you actually put a good team on the field. Because well, you're right. You're, you're ruining right. Our showcase events. You're right, of course. But but you know why? It's it's because of us. It's because the Cubs have a, an yeah. enormous fan base, a rabid fan base, and they'll know that we'll bring uh, it'll bring ratings, just like last year when the you know why are the Yankees playing the White Sox? Because it made no sense, but you know nobody's going to watch turn in to watch White White Sox Red, so they got to get people that teams care about to play them to watch the game. Year one of this was supposed to be Cardinals White Sox, right? And yeah, then I think COVID so. Yeah. 
Then they were still holding out hope they were going to do it, which was ridiculous. We yeah. had an empty Field Dreams game, and it was good. that's when the Yankees kind of slid in. They were going right. to replace the Cardinals. And then when they did it last year for real, they left the Yankees as the opponent. Um, yeah, this year, the Reds actually have a more relevant connection to this game than the Cubs do. Considering of course, they're the other team. They were the team in the 1919 <laughs> World Series that the Sox right. threw, which is why those eight dudes were hanging out in the corn in the first place. Right. But, I mean, we knew, we joked about it last year about what a terrible game it was going to be because the Cubs were tearing down, the Reds weren't any good, and then the Reds went and they tore down even further immediately yeah. in the offseason, like just handing Wade Miley over to the Cubs and trading everybody. And now you've got right. The, right. two of the, what, four worst records in the National League. Horrible. Squaring off in this game. Yeah. And I guess if, if you're Fox, you're like, it doesn't matter who's playing because – Right. It's maybe it's even better for them that it's two non-contending teams because now when they do all the hokey in-game shit, nobody's nobody, gonna there care. are no fans who are like, you know, we're trying to win a game here. Yeah. yeah right. 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 Yeah. Maybe that's right. what they want. Maybe it's hey, you know, next year it'll be the, um, I don't even know who's not trying to win. I was gonna say the Orioles, but the Orioles are actually above 500, so I can't even use them as an example. I, no, I, just might as well be the Cubs and the Reds again next year. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, this like. These, this is going to be interesting too. Like, do you think do you think uh, Kevin Costner is going to show up this year, like he did I last was thinking, year? Who do, who do you get for year two? Yeah, I um, mean, he ain't, I can't imagine he's do coming. You get, do you get Frank? You get Frank Whaley instead. You get Frank. Frank would be great. Is he the one who comes? Timothy Busfield maybe will show up. It could as, be. Uh, it could be Timothy Busfield. Yeah. Um. In fact, wouldn't so if. If Timothy Busfield came, then they should have invited Pete Crow Armstrong so that his mom would have come. Right. Because shouldn't she date Timothy Busfield in um, Little Big League? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. so. There's a direct connection there. Well, maybe Gabby Hoffman could come because she's she's in winning time. I would she, much... Course, I was we'll, a little we'll talk about I'm sure we get to the cast, but I would much rather um, see Gabby at a Uncle Buck-themed... Oh, that would be outstanding. She had quite a 1989. Yeah. Six-year-old Gabby Hoffman had a big year. Amy Madigan, by the way, in both of these movies, too. Right. Big, big Amy Madigan year. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... um, When we get to the... Who was the the voice? There's a theory as to who it is because there's an Amy Madigan connection. I know the theory. Yeah. I wonder if most people do. Go ahead and submit your answers. Yeah, tweet the, that over to tweet, tweet that, that over to you. Who do you think is the voice? And we'll get to that at some point. Um, all right, so we might as well start to plow through this uh, through this yes. movie. Uh, so at the very beginning, it's you get what other movie did we do that did the credits this way? Did um, Goodfellas right, where you just have a black screen and yeah. the names? Although in Goodfellas, didn't it cut a couple of times to the car? Yes, it did. Where this doesn't do anything. No. You just sit in the theater and look at the huge names, and then you it, get a little you get a little uh, Kevin Costner uh, voiceover montage. Right, and good. So you had a car sound like you know a name would pop up, oh, yeah. like that. Slide, it would go by. Yeah, slide off. So I had a problem with this movie right away with his <laughs> voiceover. Okay, and it's that the math is really weird. So he, he basically it it does a good job. He basically summarizes. Uh, his childhood in, I don't know, four minutes. 
Yeah, breathe. His, get, get right his entire life's his entire life's journey. How he got here, his problems with his father, how he ended up on a farm, all so, those things. He says here that his dad was born in North Dakota in 1896, and that he he went to the was in the service, okay. and then he played in the minors for a year or two. I would think that would be a fact you would, you would know. You would have you that would nailed that. down to one or two. That's like you always point out the Prevagen commercials. Yes. I've been taking it for three to five years. Like <laughs> it's a memory drug. You should probably know if, if it was three or five or four or what it is. Then he said, "Dad moved to Brooklyn in 1935, and he married Mom in 1938." Okay. Okay. So 1935. That means Dad is 39. Okay. When he marries mom, which is fine. That can happen. Sure. Um, he said he was an old man working in the Navy yards when he, was, when he Ray, was born, was born in 1952. So dad is 56 years old when Ray is born. Okay. Okay. So 14 years after they got married, they had a kid. So are we thinking right. that um, we've got like a Dane Cook situation <laughs> here with dad and the... Same mom well, was 20, so yeah. she's 34. That's fine. You can have a baby. My mom was 33 when she had me. She thought she was ancient. Mm-hmm. She cried right. when she found out she was pregnant with me because she was too old to have a baby. She was 33. Um, okay. okay, so he's 56 when Ray is born. Okay. Mom dies when Ray is three. When Ray's three, okay. He dies in 1955. Right. Okay. And then here's the first thing I, I chuckled as you know when you watch me the first time you're not really paying attention you're basically no. looking, you're basically looking at the pictures and you hear oh mom died dad raised him but right, what exactly. you hear is dad was a Yankees fan so Ray rooted for Brooklyn the right. Dodgers moved to LA in 1958 when Ray was six so that means a four or five year old Ray was such an asshole he picked a team other than his dad's <laughs> all right I mean this maybe if you're 12, you knew yeah. it to be a prick. He was right. four, basically. He was, and he's like, I yeah. like the Dodgers. He doesn't have any consciousness of any memory of four, I wouldn't think. So Certainly Do- not enough to be like a dick about it. Yeah, right? the Dodgers' last season in Brooklyn was 57. Yeah, there's no way. He's five years old when they leave, but he's a huge. Yeah. And then it says, we had to find other things to argue about. They were, so oh, they were, they were literally having it. arguments when he was five years old <laughs> about, <laughs> about baseball, was, and they had to find something else to argue about. On his third birthday, they were arguing Dodgers-Yankees. Another thing I loved was he said um, when he went to college, he picked a college as far away as he physically could. So he went to Cal Berkeley. Yep. And he said, officially, my major was English, but really it was the 60s. It was the 60s. Okay. I have another. So how old is he when he goes, let's say he's 17. Let's say he's young. Okay. He goes to college in 1969. Right. He didn't live the six. He lived one year. He lived the six. The sixties in California, right. and in actually, it was. Yeah. He went in August. He four months. He, he had four months. Four of months of yeah. the sixties in California. <laughs> well, maybe he meant he was a history major, and that's what it was. He was studying the past. <laughs> then he, but in Berkeley, he met Annie. Right. The only thing they had in common was that she was from Iowa, and he'd heard of Iowa. Yeah, and then this—I is, I think this—I thought this was actually funny. After graduation, we went to the Midwest and we stayed with our family as long as we could, almost a full afternoon. That was good. I liked that. I chuckled at that too. That was good. So, Annie and Ray got married in June 1974. Because by the way, we 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 get to see, we get to under we meet that family, so we know where he's coming from. But yes, yeah, okay. and I, it's and I also noticed that. So they show the picture, the very uh, Whistler's, uh, or no, what is the. 
Is that Whistler's daughter? What's the famous? Photo oh yeah. The, oh, the, the yeah with, with the, the farmer the, and the American Gothic. Yeah, yeah, American Gothic. They basically reenact that pose. They even have the old bald guy. The the mom then they don't even age up later when right. she's grandma. She just looks exactly right. the same. Right. <laughs> My makeup budget was not extensive, apparently. On this is not um, uh, um, this is not a Martin Scorsese Netflix movie. This is uh, they're not spending a lot of money on the aging. Mm-hmm. Um, they get married in '74, so that means Ray was 22. Dad died that fall, so he would have been 78. So he okay. So Dad had a long life. So then it says a few years later, Karen was born. Mm-hmm. So Gabby Hoffman was six in 1988, which is when they filmed this. Right. And she made both Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck. So that right. means that they was they it was eight years after they got married that they had Karen. So now we've got a timeline, which to me clearly meant they stuck with the timeline in the book, even though the movie is set far later than the book was. Right. So right. Couldn't you have simply? Do you think the Dodgers think? It shouldn't have. It shouldn't have fucked him up because they made Dad so old. Yeah. Like make him if he's born in like 1930 instead of 1896, this whole thing makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. Because he's going to complain about Dad being seeming like he was old. Well, I got news for you, Ray. He was. Yeah. Right. He was raising your whiny ass in his 60s. Yeah. And especially in that era, too. You know, 40 years ago, when people were 60, that's like, yeah. wow, there was a lot Well, that's older. what I was saying. Well, my mom, my mom, had, my mom had my brother and my sister when she was 23 and 24. Yeah. And then I come waltzing along at 33, and she thought, she was convinced she was too old yeah. to have a baby. Right. And I even remember thinking that I had, like, that I had older parents than my friends, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. The only mm-hmm. difference was I had old I had an older brother and sister than my friends did, but my most of my friends, their parents were you know twenty eight, twenty nine, or thirty when they had yeah. them. Mom Same was thirty three. That's not that. Yeah. yeah, close enough. You can't can't tell the difference at that age. Yeah. So anyway, so these two hippies from California who hated their one afternoon in Iowa so much, right? Uh, by Annie's parents' farm. Yeah, that was a little odd choice, but okay. So the first real shot of the movie is this iconic shot at sunset of Kevin Costner walking through the cornfield. The corn is shoulder high, a little higher, which to me means it's probably July. Mm-hmm. There's the right. old knee high by the 4th of July. Ever heard that thing for corn? Yeah, well, that's the only thing because I did not. I grew up in the city, so that's the only if, thing if I knew was knee high by the 4th of July. If it's 4th of July and your corn is knee high, you're fucked. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's it, a bad thing. It rhymed. It was in Oklahoma. No, it's oh, it high as an elephant's okay. eye. But okay. knee-high by the 4th of July. Maybe that was it's a bad. thing in like the, maybe in the 20s. The 1820s? Yeah, but no, you, it needs to be taller. So it's shoulder-high, so it's it's July. Plus, we know actually from the filming that it really was July. We also know that, and I've talked right. about this on Remember This Crap, 1988 was a horrible drought. Horrible. Ah, right. And they had to basically truck in water from the Mississippi to keep the movie corn alive. Mm. And the guy who owned the farm got all kinds of shit 
from his neighbors. They were pissed because their corn is dying, you know, in the field, curling right, up. Right, right, right. And he's got a bunch of Hollywood assholes out there spraying water to grow his, to make sure his corn grows. Well, I think all those people that must have appeared as extras in the movie because the, the Iowa townsfolk do not like. Uh... Yeah, there's two two scenes where they show up and they're not happy. Three where they're not happy. <laughs> they are not happy with uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, no. So anyway, so he's wandering through the corn and you hear. Which is, again, now for me, I hadn't watched this movie in I don't know how many years. A dozen, 20, maybe more. And I was kind of like, you know, I give them they got right to it. Mm-hmm. They get right to it. I like that. There's no fucking around. Yep. It's like, boom, he's in the cornfield. If you build it, they will come. We're right, we're right into it. So he yells out to the porch. Fanny, Fanny can hear it. And her and Karen are sitting on the porch swing. Yeah. Which I've said. I've, everybody who's ever been to that place has sat in that porch swing. I had a picture taken in it. I had me too. Right. Um, and they can't. And he's wandering around. He still hear it. And so then they call him in for dinner. That's right. another problem I have several times in this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so it's it's sunset. And the reason in the movie it's sunset is it's pretty. Right. You're, no, in, Iowa, you're in Iowa. You're in Iowa July. It's 930 at night if it's it if the sun is setting. It's bedtime for for the daughter. It's yeah, not you got a six year old kid, and you're not feeding her dinner until nine thirty. You really are mm-hmm. dirty hippies from California. <laughs> so anyway, so he comes into the house, and this I didn't get. He's you know he's trying to figure out what the what the voice could have been, and he asks the weirdest question. Yeah. He asks Annie, "Is there like a sound truck on the highway or something?" <laughs> What the fuck is a sound truck? Why would there be a sound truck on the highway what? in Iowa? That's a Hollywood thing. Somebody's like, ah, just uh, tell them, uh, see if there's a, ask, have them ask if there's a sound truck. A sound <laughs> truck. That's just the weird. And then it, or maybe kids with a radio? And she's yeah. like, no. Well, you don't, I mean. And she, she asks, are you hearing voices? He says, just one. Yeah. Right. He also, uh, by the way, did you notice he goes to the fridge, he takes out, a gallon of milk or whatever, a carton of milk, and he sniffs it. Yep. I was like, you think there's bad milk in there? <laughs> Ray, what, what's going on? What are you feeding your daughter? You got spoiled three, milk in Three the people in Iowa with a quart of milk, and you got to check to see if it went bad. Yeah. Like, no. Lay off the doobie. This is why you're listening to the podcast, folks. These are the details that we that we bring to light. And, Boy, and imagine discuss. if we didn't like the movie, what kind of <laughs> Um, at one point, he, is it she wakes up and he's sitting in the window looking at the corn? I think, and he, Thanks, she's like yeah. Ray, and he's like, "It's okay, honey. I'm just uh, talking to the cornfield." Yeah, just kind of. <laughs> that's funny. So the next morning, he gets up, and Karen, his daughter, is doing what all kids do: sitting at the kitchen table watching an old Jimmy Stewart movie. Yeah, she's watching Harvey, as all six-year-olds are wants yes. to do. So, which hey, course, Dad is. Is Harvey on? Yeah. Dad? So, Dad, you've been you've been hearing voices. Uh, how about th- I want to watch the Jimmy Stewart classic with the imaginary rabbit? Yeah. 
Now, apparently, the reason that that was in the screenplay was they originally approached Jimmy Stewart about playing Doc Graham. And then that would have brought it, like, full circle. Ah, okay, very nice. He said he was no longer... He'd be like asking Gene Hackman now. Gotcha. And he's like, fuck off, I'm in Santa Fe painting. I'm not not acting anymore. I'm out. I'm out, right, okay. Um... Well, they couldn't have done better than Bert. Bert was outstanding. So Ray wants to take Karen to school because he's going to the, I don't know if he's going to the co-op or the feed store, but he's going somewhere. So he's he's mm-hmm. going to take her. And he goes in there, and there's a bunch of grumpy farmers oh, in there. Very grumpy. And the thing I noticed about it was they're all wearing, like, brand new seed corn hats. A lot of Kent, a lot of, maybe some rinks, but there's a lot of Kent seed corn hats fresh mm-hmm. out of the box. The one Coincidence? Guy, the one guy he talks to very clearly at some point they're like, shit, we need to make this hat dirty. They just like, you could tell, they just kind of like, somebody took a hand and just like rubbed a little dirt on it to make it look yeah. used. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it. Right. But he asked the thing that any sensible person would ask. He's like, did you ever, do farmers hear voices in the field? <laughs> He's like, you're hearing voices? No, I just no, heard that no, some no. farmers do. And of course I don't. And the guy yells, raise hearing voices. Yeah. Oh, oh, and the and the forgiving people of Iowa were not were, didn't like hearing that from this weirdo, this hippie so, weirdo. You, I I thought of you. I thought of us immediately when this. Did you see what he what he bought at the co-op? He bought two things. He he buys the uh, well, he buys the whatever that thing is. He buys he buys a like a twenty pound bag of quality seed. Yeah, which makes no sense in July. You, a it's it's not feed. I don't, apparently they got you hear a rooster once, so apparently they have chickens. Okay, but it's so not okay. feed. It's like it's like seed. You're not planting anything. It's, one bag's not going to do you any good, and you're not planting anything in July. So I don't get why it's clearly a prop. But okay, he that also went, buys that went right over my head, right over my head. Okay, but he on. also buys some three in one oil. But he does not buy gauze pads or ball bearings. <laughs> so clearly, it's not all ball bearings oh, these days. It's not. In Norris Vetter's jackknife down the Santa Ana. Whee! I didn't so, put that one together either. See, that's outstanding. So now he goes. Uh, he goes back to. He's back out in the field. He's a farmer, outstanding in his field, with his new bag of seed that he can't plant. And I would. I do wish Dad was around to ask him what he thinks he's doing here. Okay. Even the first time we see him, he's out in the field with a shovel. <laughs> he's back right. with the shovel. And he yeah. digs up one plant, and he turns it over, and he looks at the roots. Uh-huh. I don't know what he could possibly be looking at. He's got a, <laughs> clearly a healthy corn crop, so right. if he's worried that there's, you know, he's got uh, bull weevils or anything, and it's too late. <laughs> yeah. So he basically just digs one up for nothing. Okay. Um, it's just, I, and maybe it's to just set the, um, set it up that we know he's a shitty farmer. It's just bad. Because I don't yeah. know what he's doing out there, and I don't know what he's what he's doing. Right, right. Well, that is a recurring theme. They're always telling him what a bad farmer he is. Yes. So yeah. So he hears but, the voice again. Okay. And this time he argues with it, and then he has a vision. Right. He sees in the cornfield. He sees a baseball diamond with the silhouette of a man standing at about second base. Yes. And then we see. And I think he sees too. We see Ray Liotta. Yes, that's right. So maybe it's supposed to be Joe Jackson. I don't know. Maybe it's just Ray. He's like, ooh, I have a movie star in my yard. 
goes back in the house, and um, he's trying to explain to his wife that he thinks he's supposed to uh, dig up his corn crop and build a baseball field. And Chulis Joe Jackson uh, will get to come back and play ball again. And right. she does not start throwing things at him, which I it takes me completely out of the movie. Yeah, that's a little bit odd, too. She's a little right. too accepting. Yeah, absolutely. But there, they do, she, she does have a good line. Hey, you don't suppose this is like an acid flashback or anything, do you? I never took acid. Well, maybe it will someday. It's like a flash forward. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, that was funny. So he tells her the Babe Ruth pattern to swing after Joe, and that if he built the field... He's telling this to uh, to uh, Karen, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, about right. Babe Ruth. He's given the history of. Yes. He's basically giving us the history of the of, of Shoeless Joe and the and the and the scandal. Yeah. Well, maybe it's cutting to different. It's got, maybe it's more of a, a montage where sometimes he's talking to Karen, sometimes he's talking to Annie because some right. of the stuff he says is the stuff he wouldn't tell the daughter. Yeah, about yeah, the exactly. Babe Ruth and um, this can write an old wrong. And then I know right. he says this to Annie. He's like, but he says he's worried he's turning into his father and yes. he never forgave him for getting old. It's like, no, we've already established. <laughs> he was old. He was old when you were born. You, you don't All get right. to be mad at him for that. He goes, by the time right. he was as old as I am now, he was ancient. Well, yeah. You don't fucking know because that was 16 years before you were born when he was your right. age. Right, 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 right. Exactly. And now another, now I'm sure we're going to get to the fact that Ray, uh, Ray Liotta's batting stance. Yes. But you uh, mentioned, but as you, you know, but you do hear, you know, Babe Ruth copied his swing. Well, Babe Ruth, I think we all know, was a lefty. Yeah. So it'd be kind of, uh, if you're not. Unfortunately, so was Joe, just not Ray. Yes. <laughs> right. But you think that might, that might be something that maybe we te- tweak this line a little bit yeah. or we use another player, we do something else, but no. Um, Why would Babe Ruth copy a right-handed player swing, yeah. He says he, uh, he talking about his dad. He must have had dreams, but he never did anything about him. Again, he's fifty. We don't know. Old. By the time you're born, by the time you're three, he's a widower with an annoying, argumentative three-year-old. So he he ain't in the fo- he ain't in the uh, follow your dreams phase of his life at yeah. that point. Yeah. So he thinks building the field is his last chance to do something spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And Annie says, if he really feels he should do it, he should do it. So apparently she's having acid flashbacks because I'm sure yeah. she did acid, even if he didn't. Yeah. First of all, it's my only chance to do something spontaneous. Okay. Maybe buy a motorcycle. Like that's not a great reason to build a baseball field in the middle of your farm. And and your point is, yeah, she's very accepting about this because it's clear that they they do not have a lot of money. So yeah. this is a big. This is going to be a big. It's not like ah, we're millionaires just kind of farming for fun. Go right ahead. Well, this sets something up that I think. Maybe there's a reason she was accepting about it. Okay. So we see, they say he's plowing under the corn. He's not. He's actually got, um, he's chopping it down. He's basically going okay. over it with what looks like a hay mower. And he's, yeah. which I guess is what you'd have to do. And then, then you have to plow under what's left. Um, I would guess by July, there was no, none of the corn was mature enough to get anything out of. So he probably has to just get rid of it. 
But he's got a whole pile of like, there's like a dozen Iowa townsfolk staring yeah. at him. They're sitting there in their base of their crappy old 70s cars, which I loved. The fact yeah. That. And these are just like, these are just people from Dyersville that just drive out. Oh, clearly. They may yeah. very well have been there just to watch the filming and they just shot them because it would be perfect. They've got lawn chairs. They're. Yeah. Well, they would have had to, to, to inform No, but I mean, they may have gone out there and said... Yeah, that's, yeah. hey, yeah. you guys want to be hey, in the movie? Oh, exactly. This would fit. Yeah. Do you want to be in the movie? Exactly, yeah. Um, what the hell is he doing? He's plowing under his barn. Why? Because they did do a lot of uh, town involvement in the, in the... A lot of them were extras in the movie, even in scenes sure. that weren't set in Iowa. Um Okay, so here's here's where I my biggest problem with the movie on the millionth rewatch okay. is this. Do you know how big an acre is? Um, no. So an acre is roughly three quarters of a football field. Okay. Um, from the size of that baseball field that he makes given that mm-hmm. there's very little foul territory there's no grandstand there's no bullpens there's no there's right. basically the field a backstop and one little set of bleachers mm-hmm. at the most it's two acres okay he he plowed under two acres of corn uh to make this field not not very much is your point i would say that an average size small farm in iowa which he had yep is probably 300 acres Maybe two hundred. The farm that the the actual Field of Dreams farm is actually the, what you see in the movie is two farms because right. there's right. like field. through left. There's if you kind of draw a diagonal line through left field about where Ian Happ will be falling down trying to chase <laughs> fly balls on Thursday night. Right. That's starts the neighbor's farm, and really that has more to do with the fact that when they were scouting, they're like, "Oh, this is the perfect spot," and they're like, "Well." It's not 100% in my... You're going to have to go get permission, which became a huge deal then when the one guy who had the house and the farm wanted to make a tourist attraction, and the other guy's like, I didn't want to go back to planting fucking corn on that corner. Right, right. The dire, the farm that they... That, that guy's was 200 acres. Okay. But that's a relatively small farm, even for them. So you're talking... It's, 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 one, it's 1% or less is how much space this baseball field takes up. Yeah, so say it's a three. Say it's a three hundred acre. I guess it doesn't really matter. Two hundred, three hundred acres. Um, at that time, in the eighties, corn you were getting about a hundred bushels to the acre. Okay. Corn was selling for about three dollars a bushel. Okay. He plowed under six hundred dollars <laughs> worth of corn. Okay. If he was going bankrupt. Because of $600 worth of corn, he was fucking going bankrupt anyway. No matter and what. And you might as well have humored him by letting him build the baseball field. Because, yeah. you know, it. and even then, of course, in 1988, there was the drought. Um, it may have been harder on him in 88, but that doesn't really, it factors into real life but not the movie. Because they don't talk mm-hmm. about the drought in the movie. Um, yields were way down. I think I looked it up. The average yield in Iowa that summer was like down to 73 bushels per acre. And prices tanked to about 250. You're so right. he was losing even less money. The problem was he was also making less on the other, whether it's 198 acres or 298, whatever he's got above and beyond. But basically, the thing that they hammer over and over again is what an asshole he was for taking for not planting corn on that land. You know, he. It's well, not only that. It, 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 
it's a central theme of the movie that him doing this is is put his family on the verge of financial ruin. Yes. And you've just pointed out we're talking about six hundred dollars here. He was he was on the verge of financial ruin anyway. Yeah, if that were the case. Yeah, but but they all but they tie it repeatedly as uh to to the farm, as yeah. of course does Gordon, I mean he, Timothy. At the at the at the least he he excuse me, took two percent of their farmland offline at the or at the most, two percent at the least one and a half percent. I think he's probably um, it's probably going to be okay. Probably okay, yeah. Now, so as I was looking this up, um, I decided, I'm like, how, why is an acre, why is that the, the unit of measure? It seems odd, right? Yeah, right. You're not going to be shocked to know that the an acre is a yeah. very old way of measuring land, and it was determined by somebody that it's the amount of soil... That an uh-huh. ox could plow in a day. Hmm. That's an acre. That's okay. what we're still measuring. <laughs> when you buy a house and you get yeah. a half acre, they had to bring an ox out and give him, right. give him, you know, I don't know, 12 hours. I don't know how many, I, I, what, is it an eight hour day for the ox? So the ox goes for four hours and whatever he can plow, that's what you get to build the house on. Are they still doing it that way? Well, I don't know. He's going to get a cigarette break. You would think yeah. the ox and a coffee break. Yeah, that's okay. Um, Okay, now, right. so there are, it's not all, it's not just 600 bucks, though, right? Because well, there's he, the cost of building yes. the field. I mean, he does, he obviously spends money. He builds, and she says he builds a nice field. He does. He builds a very nice field. Oh, it's nice a gorgeous field. field. It's, a, it's a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous field, yeah. Given the fact that it's it has to be July when he does it, and that right. the corn is not, so he also pissed away money on sod. He, mm-hmm. had, he couldn't have seeded that and grown it that fast, right. so he pissed away money on sod. But by far the dumbest thing he did was he put lights in. Yes, that's exactly. Why are there lights? Why do you give yourself the lights are expensive and you've got a power, you got to pay, a, your electric bill is going through the roof. Yeah. Um, and how would you even do that? How would he even get those light towers by himself? Because they, they really, you know, they oh, just. Karen might have helped. She's. <laughs> I mean, doesn't he have to order? Is he going to have to order those yeah. from somewhere? Maybe that's going to take. Stole like, them from, maybe he went down to Dyersville High. And he took their light the lights. Field? They went to have their first football game. Like, there's no lights up there. What? <laughs> they, they cut that scene from the movie. Yeah, where is he getting these light towers? So and this I money? do buy and this, ex- and this expertise, by the way, because yeah. we've established he majored in the '60s, in the '70s. Yes. How does he have an expertise to build up uh, yeah. light towers? So I guess maybe the argument, maybe people were making it to their podcast machines while we were talking. It is okay. sure it maybe only cost him six hundred dollars worth of income this one year but how many thousands of dollars did this asshole spend to build the field and if they had a bad year which they clearly did they don't have any savings to dip into to get through the bad year so that i guess but it's it's not it's never really a kind of is she mentions that they don't have savings anymore yeah when they're sitting there at the kitchen table another weird thing that happens though one other weird thing before the, but another oh, sure. weird thing about the lights is he's building this ostensibly for Shoeless Joe Jackson, yeah. who never played yes. under the lights. Like they have a conversation about it. Yeah, they do, right? But yeah, what makes him think? Oh, Shoeless Joe's not going to come unless I build lights. Is it just because there are lights in the in the vision? Right, but I suppose. But why would there? Is he like lights? using that? Why like, did it become blueprints? Oh fuck! Well, I got to put lights up. Yeah, but why did the vision have to have lights? Why couldn't it just been a beautiful baseball field without lights? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Go ahead. You were going to say. Um, oh, before we get to that, though. Um, oh, I know what it is. While, when he's talking to Karen is while they're building the um, – it cuts. At one point, he's loading, like, chain link into his truck, but another they're actually hammering nails in to build the bleachers. And he's talking about Joe and the World Series. Mm-hmm. And he's given mm-hmm. that old White Sox fan bullshit about how he hit 371 in the World Series. Right, right, right. And he didn't make an error, and he hit the yeah. only home run in the series. Like, you you don't have to do – you can – so you're saying that by making outs in 62.9% of his at-bats, you know, you could pick your spots. And Absolutely. you can still, you know, you don't have to make an error in the outfield. You, you can, can just not get to a ball. Exactly. You cannot get to a fly ball. That never absolved. We know the whole in – in Eight Men Out, which came out just months before this. So right. it was a Joe Jackson renaissance. They talk about how Joe was illiterate and he didn't know right. what he was signing, which also I think is bullshit. Right. Um, Charlie Comiskey had fucked all those guys over and this was a way to make some money. And yeah. there are, they're not, they weren't, everybody knew they weren't the first team to throw games, even in the world series. There right. are a lot of thoughts that the year before when the Cubs lost to the Red Sox, the Cubs tanked a couple, mm-hmm. same gamblers, just the mm-hmm. White Sox got to be more famous. Right, um, right. So anyway, well, that's, so, the thing, too. that's the thing, too, that, that, yes, he did. Bottom line, he did take the money. That's right. never that's not in question. Yeah, so exactly. he did take the money. He blamed it on Swede, if I believe. He was afraid of Swede Risberg would, would beat him up or whatever uh, or do something worse to him. But, yeah, bottom line, he did take the money. Yeah, so I actually said, and my note was, he's explaining he doesn't think Joe threw any games in the World Series. Joe took the money. Fuck him. That was my actual <laughs> That's Fuck yeah. Joe Jackson. I think that's fair. Um. So then we see Andy and Ray laying on a blanket on their new field with the lights on, burning a little mm-hmm. electricity. Why not? And yep. uh, he goes, I have just created something totally illogical. And mm-hmm. she goes, that's what I like about it. And he says, am I completely nuts? And she says, not, not completely. completely. No, not completely. Yep. So then, this is all so curious. I don't know why we need this. Um, now we see it's winter and the field yeah. is covered in snow. Yeah, and he's sitting in a terrible Christmas sweater, looking out get, wistfully onto the field through the window while everyone else is having a Christmas party in his house. Yes, my guess is that is to ratchet up the fact that he's, he's not, not he's not making any yeah. money. Their financial situation is becoming more dire. The townspeople think he's even crazier because he builds this field, and whatever he thought was going to happen doesn't happen, and now it's winter, and they should commit this guy. I think. So let me see Annie and Ray going over their finances at the kitchen table. And mm-hmm. she says they can almost break even. Right. And through the window, we can see that the corn is once again head high. So it's now a year later. It's the next right. July. Okay. When do they do their books? I, I'm they're guessing they're just, going over the wrong time. Just now figuring out that they're running <laughs> out of money? It's like, I would think you had a crop and a yield in October. And you should have paid all your shit then, and you had to have money to plant this year's crop. I don't think this is a conversation that you're having in July. Yeah. But they are. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, Karen is interrupting them, and they're doing the movie thing where they're ignoring the little kid, and she keeps saying it. And then finally she gets her attention. She said, there's a man out there on the lawn, which I think is funny. Right. Yeah, that's funny. And so they see that it's Joe, and Annie sees him, which is important. We know Karen saw him. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Ray can see him and Annie sees him and she says, I'll go put on some coffee. And Ray goes outside to introduce himself. Right. And then this is, uh, this is a nice awkward scene. You know, there's this 
creepy man standing on his field in an old timey mm-hmm. baseball uniform, but he recognizes him as being Joe Jackson because when he was a kid, he saw a baseball card. You see that early on in the movie. They see the baseball right. cards of Babe Ruth and the Ty Cobb, and then I think it was Ty Cobb, Joe yeah. Jackson, which is Ray Liotta. Right. Um. So he introduces himself, and then um, Joe clearly wants to play. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Ray goes, tries to hit him a fly ball, and shanks one, and then finally hits him one. That was funny, actually. That was pretty funny. Yeah. So in real life, Joe Jackson threw right-handed, batted left-handed. Mm-hmm. In the movie, Ray Liotta throws left-handed and bats right-handed. Mm-hmm. It seems to me there were two options here. Number one, he's an actor. He should, he could, they could get him to act like he does it the opposite. Mm-hmm. Or because he does both things backwards, you could flip. You could do the old Gary Cooper. Yeah. You know, where they put number four backwards on his Yankees jersey and had him bat right-handed and then flip the flip the negative or whatever. Right. Because right. he's backwards yeah. in both. It would be relatively easy in the in any scene that's just him to literally just flip it. Yeah, Billy Crystal did that in '61 with Whitey Ford. Flipped him. Uh, what's his name? Russ. He took Russ and flipped him. Uh, he was a righty. Made him a lefty. So, did you know that Ray Liotta was actually he was training for a month with I think it was a USC baseball coach. Yep. Um, and he was batting left-handed and throwing right-handed. Oh, he was. For a month. Okay. He was. He was working on this for a month. And I guess the, the directors or the producer, somebody came out, and I guess they weren't thrilled with what they were seeing. And they said, you know what? Because that, that's – just do it your natural way, which is how he, he ended up um, batting right and, and uh, throwing left. But he said – because I before I had looked this up, that's one of the things I always wanted if I ever got to work – or meet with Ray Liotta, I wanted to ask him about that. Why did you do that? Or why did you let them talk? You know, how did that happen? And he said that to this day, he was, well, he said this in an interview when he was alive, obviously, that he regretted it because he regretted doing that because he really wanted to make sure things were accurate. And he hated the fact that he, as he put it, let them talk him into doing it that way. He also had a great line too, because everybody evidently would always bring that up to him for the rest of his life. That why, why did you do that? You know, why did you bat right-handed? And he was like, you know, none of the players ever came back to life. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so while they're, after the, he shags a few flies, he wants he wants to hit. Yes. And I only noticed this, this when I watched this the other day. So he goes to the bat bag, and he pulls out a bat. Obviously, it's modern stuff. They put Thankfully, Ray didn't try to make bats, so they would be era uh, you know, appropriate. Right. Right. So he pulls out a Louisville Slugger, and he does this whole scene holding this bat. He's kind of staring at it, and he sniffs it at one point. I mean, he really likes this bat. That bat has a huge crack that goes all the way down the bat. You could see it plain as day. It is, it's a broken bat. It goes all the way oh, down. Oh, man. And, it's, and then he, in the scene, he takes it to home plate. Joe Jackson doesn't know... Can't recognize a broken bat. He doesn't know. He's not. Of course, he hits one that doesn't break because it's the movie. But it's like, put, right. you, you could toss that one, Joe. It's broken. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That even made it into the prop bag. Quite yeah. honestly, I mean, I, I even knows. I noted it through the chain link. At one point, they <laughs> shoot it through the fence. You could clearly see that the bat has a big crack in it. Right. It runs all the way down, like.
all the way down, it's down the barrel, all the way down. It, it disappears down in the handle somewhere. Yeah. Um, so you probably know a couple of a couple of good things. Oh, first he says, "Don't we need a catcher?" Yeah, <laughs> not if you get anywhere near the plate. <laughs> so that's good. That was great. Um, and there is a shot where uh, Ray or uh, where um, Ray Liotta, where Ray Joe Liotta. lines one back, and it kind of hits Costner right about the. It kind of knocks him off the mound. That apparently yeah. really happened. That wasn't yes. really that wasn't supposed to happen. As Ray actually got a hold of one. Yeah. See if you can hit my curve. Yeah, yeah, you can hit the curveball. So th- I, think, I think there's kind of a missed opportunity there. If he actually had gotten to the point where he could hit the ball really well, you don't really see, there's not like a good shot where it's clearly Ray. Right. Like it's either, not... either from behind or you see him make contact, but then you don't see where the ball goes. A right, couple right. of them in the montage, you can tell aren't going anywhere, but he does, there's one that the way it leaves the bat, you could tell that he really got a hold of one. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's not like when we did Major League, we talked about how they could shoot Dennis Haysbert. They could just let you see Serrano hit the ball because he could hit the baseball so far. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I also wonder if maybe that was a reason, too, that the that the producers or whatever wanted him to bat. I, right. I wonder if there's something about the, the angle and if, like, him shoot if, – if everything was going towards left field was better yeah, for some be. technical reason, and maybe that's why they did it. Um, um, I also, don't. If, I don't know. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have been able if you've tried to have him, or if you just tried to flip it. Like you try to fake it. Like left hand looks bad. Right hand swings pretty good. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna fake it. Yeah. Then you wouldn't be able to show Costner pitching to him directly because he would be backwards. Right. That's for two. He'd have to pretend yeah. he's left-handed the whole movie. Which. You know. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta give both of them a lot of credit when that ball comes back and knocks uh, knocks him down. Because they stayed in the scene, yeah, you know, and and um, Kevin Costner gets up and is like, "Whoa!" But Ray Ray Liotta gl- uses uses that moment to glare him down, which was really nicely done. It was really well done. Uh, and then uh, I like the let's see if he can hit my curve. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like yeah. Okay, okay, okay jerky, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Joe says, uh, "I love this game." I'd have played for food money. It was a game. The sounds, the smells, and all I can think of is he really misses the troughs. <laughs> misses the smell of the urinal troughs. Yeah. Which I'm sure in the teens were really something. They must have uh, been really Burks, very sanitary. Great. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Now, one reason in the movie that the lights paid off was in that scene – and I don't know how many nights they shot, but when they're walking off the field, they're just kind of talking. Mm-hmm. Um, the sky is amazing. Oh, fancy! Yeah, it gets a great. It's it. The thing looks incredible. You got to have lights, absolutely, for because for the movie reasons, it just doesn't make any sense why he would build a field with lights yeah. on it. That's that's the thing. Although you know, so that yeah, as we talked about, they do have a little conversation where where Ray Liotta's like, "What's with the lights?" And he says, "All the stadiums have them now, even Wrigley Field." Which I got me wondering: Is Comiskey Park ever mentioned in the movie? I don't think so. But Wrigley Field is. Yeah. I don't think they ever mentioned that. What's with the lights? Oh, all the stadiums have them now. Even Wrigley Field makes it harder to see the ball. Yeah, well, the owners found that more people could attend night games. Owners. 
in the book, um, the same thing comes up. So there's lights in the book. There has to be because of this. Okay. Because um, he says, what's with the lights? And in the book, apparently, he says, all the stadiums have them now except Wrigley Field. And, of course, this movie was filmed in the summer of 1988, which is the year that Wrigley got lights. So the line in the movie had to be, even Wrigley Field. And then Joe goes, makes it harder to see the ball. And he's like, well, the owners found that more people could attend night games. Owners. He goes, ah, fuck those rickets. It's amazing, because they hadn't been by the team for, like, 30 years. But, uh, all 20. So he gets to meet Karen and Annie. Mr. Jackson, this is my wife, Annie, and my daughter, Karen. Ma'am? Hi. Are you a ghost? Karen. <laughs> she's kidding. It's okay. What do you think? You look real to me. Well, then I guess I'm real. Would you like to come inside? Uh, thanks. I don't think I can. And then he asks if he can come back and bring the other seven banned White Sox. And, of course, um, Ray says, of course you can't. I built this for you. And on his way off the field, he turns on his way to the corn. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Meaning it's the exact opposite. <laughs> That's what that means, yeah. It's, um, you're in hell. We should also, confirmed. in addition to the batting thing, we should also touch on the fact that Shoeless Joe Jackson was from South Carolina. Yeah. Yes. Ray Liotta did absolutely nothing <laughs> to put on any kind of a Southern accent or affect. And as you point out, Eight Men Out came out right around that same time. And D.B. Sweeney played Shoeless Joe Jackson. He was very much, you know, yep. Southern guy, chewing tobacco. He brought all of that that stuff with him. And uh, I guess they were just like, nah, we don't need it. You don't need to, <laughs> you don't yeah, need to have guess, a Southern draw. It's fine. Just talk like you're from Brooklyn. I guess the argument would be that um, in in Eight Men Out, in order to give the, you know, because the, the theory in the movie is that Joe really didn't know what he was doing. Right. He has to be kind of a rube. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to be in this. He just right. gets to be the iconic, you know. So I guess that's why. But yeah, you would think that, you know. Well, particularly you at if least you would... have the accent. You don't have to play him like he's a moron. Right. Right. I mean, if you if he's literally spent a month with the, co- the USC baseball coach learning how to bat and throw a certain way, so it would be realistic. You yeah. would think that that would have come in at some point. But yeah. And maybe they tried it and it didn't work. And they're like, eh, who knows? Just keep your normal voice. Who knows? So anyway, so him and him and Annie are standing there and they watch Joe go in the corner and he disappears. And Ray goes, we're keeping this field. And she goes, you bet your ass we are. Bet your ass we are. <laughs> so then the Snyder, next scene is uh, Gordon Whitmire. Gordon Whitmire looking like Timothy Busfield telling Ray that he and his partners can buy the farm from him for a fair price. It reminds me he never liked Iowa or farming. And he's like, Oh, I like yeah, I don't I like Iowa. He's like, Well then why how could you plow under your major crop? And he goes, What's a crop? Yeah. Funny. What's a crop? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, so Mark, which is Andy's brother, Gordon, um, Timothy Bestfield, gets yep. very annoyed because while they're having this serious discussion about their finances and how those two acres are going to bankrupt them, uh, Karen comes and uh, whispers to her dad that she wants to go out and watch the baseball game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mark gets very upset because he thinks they're going to go watch TV. Right. But go outside and all eight of the socks are there. Yes. Now, we've already talked about one thing that bothered me a little bit is there is a catcher there. Guy coming out in catcher's gear. Um, and But the catcher for that team was Ray Shaw, who was not involved. No. He was uh, played by uh, uh, Metavoy, right? From, uh, yes. From NYPD Blue. Gordon Clapp. Gordon Clapp. Stubby's, <clears throat> Stubby's brother. Yeah. Yeah, and they, but they never identify the catcher. They don't. Other than the fact that they well, need somebody to catch because they're going to Well, catch right. Until later, there is a catcher identified. Oh, well, yes, there is. Yeah, right. Yeah, they don't. Right. Uh, another thing that bothered me was, so um, they pronounce two names different. Yes. Than an eight men out. Again, can we not get this right? So Chick Gandel is the guy playing first. He's played by Art. What's Art's name? I can't think of Art's name. He also played uh, Babe Ruth in the Sandlot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they call him Gandil. Gandil. And then um, Eddie Seacott is Knuckles. Yep. But they call him something that I, it took me a while to even realize that's who it was supposed to be. They didn't, because I think some people pronounce it Sakati, but they don't, it's, yeah. they, it's not even that. It's weird, but that really is Eddie Seacott. It's, they, it's Cheekot, or they call him something like that. Yeah. Throw the ball, Cheekot. Like, well, again, we can't. Because, yeah, those are, the, I think, two of the only players actually called out yeah. by name. Two of the White Sox players. Anyway. Well, another guy, Buck Weaver. Come on, asshole. Pitch. Weaver. Nice. Sorry, kid. It's okay. I don't mind. All right. So, so while they're sitting there, Mark and his wife and uh, mother come yes, out indeed. to say, do you know who the mother is, by the way? Sorry. I may recognize her from other. She's that lady. She, her name is Fern Persons, and Fern was the mother. She played Opal Fleener in Hoosiers. Mm. Thank you. Come on, it's getting late. We better get going. Come on. Sun don't shine on the same dog's ass every day, but Mister, you ain't seen a ray of light since you got here. I believe it's time we had a talk. Sunday. Supper. I accept. So we kind of had a run here of like these act, same actors doing back to back sort of classic sports movies, right? Amy Madigan, um, Gabby Hoffman. Well, that wasn't a sport. I'll go back to sports. But great 80s movies. Fern Persons. Yes. And uh, Fern is, uh, she's not happy with uh, with uh, Ray Kinsella either. No. So they come out to say goodbye and they clearly can't see the players. Ray? Honey, um, mom and everybody's leaving now. 
Well, it was, uh, you know, thanks for coming. Ray, think about what I said. You know, I'm just trying to help. I know. So I thought you two were going to watch some game. Because it's not really a game, it's more like a practice. See, there's only eight of them, so they can't play a real game. Eight of what? Them. Who them? Them, them. Well, you don't see them? Karen, honey, uh, what are you watching? The baseball man. Baseball? Do you see the baseball men right now? Of course I do. But you, you really don't see him? I don't think it's very polite to try to make other people feel stupid. Yeah, it's it. And they storm off. Yes. Um, so he gets to go out. He goes out on the field and he's yucking it up with the players. And Chuck Gandil tries to impress him. And yeah. that his uniform still fits. Yeah. And then he goes, I died in he goes, I died in seventy. So it means I haven't had a cigarette in eighteen years. You don't smoke, do you? Clearly <laughs> wants a cigarette. And then right. they make fun of Ray when Annie calls him to dinner. That was great. Yeah. Ray dinner. Ray dinner. So he's one of the guys. So he thinks everything's cool and he turns and he starts to walk into the house and he hears What? I'm sorry, what? I I didn't understand. What? Ease his pain. Ease his pain? What? What the hell hell does that mean? Ease his pain. What pain? Right? Whose pain? Ease his pain. Ease his pain. He's like, ah, fuck, the fucking voice is back again. But right before that, as the guys are walking into the cornfields, one of them's like, I'm melting, I'm melting. Yeah, so now ease his pain. But it's it's sunset. Another ironic thing: it's sunset, so the players are done. Right. You got lights. He put Why lights up home? just for you. Turn the fucking lights yeah. on. Yeah. But anyway, it's sunset. They're gonna have and they're getting ready to have dinner again. And then Annie reminds them that they have a PTA meeting after dinner. What time is the PTA meeting? Eleven o'clock <laughs> at night. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we see a PTA meeting. And the the entire town has to be in this meeting. This oh is my. packed. Yes, packed. And to they the are talking about banning books. Yes. And Beulah Kessenick. Beulah is not having it. She's waving a Terrence Mann book around, and she wants it banned. Mm-hmm. The, the boat rocker. And then the guy—I don't know if he's the president of the school board or the principal—but he's like, he's trying to talk her down. Like this is legitimate literature. Terrence Mann is a Pulitzer Prize winner and considered the finest satirist of his time. He was in Men in Black, by the way, that actor. Oh? He's all, he also does a bunch of mammoth movies, that, that actor, yeah. Just look up his name. And you hear one yes. of the guys yell, well, I think he's a prospect pervert and probably a communist, too. Well, maybe he'll say <laughs> prospect pervert, but I bet he would now. <laughs> right. I think he's a pervert and probably a communist, too. Mm-hmm. But then Beulah, she's not giving it up. Mr. Harris, the so-called novels of Terrence Mann endorse promiscuity, godlessness, the mongrelization of the races, and disrespect to high-ranking officers of the United States Army. And that is why right-thinking school boards all across the country have been banning this man's S-H-I-T since 1969. 
You, you, you know why he stopped writing books? Because he masturbates. Ooh. And I thought, well, you know how we know that's not true? Because if masturbators couldn't write, there wouldn't be any books. <laughs> um, so then, uh, apparently, this was the first scene that they shot for this movie. Okay. And so Amy Madigan has this big speech, and she has to basically yell at everybody. And she right. um, was very like uncomfortable that the first scene in the movie was her yelling at a bunch of ta- <laughs> yelling at all the yeah. dance people. Right. Can understand that. But she's throwing her 60s bona, bona fides out. I cherished every one of his books, and I dearly wish he had written some more. And I think if you had experienced even a little bit of the 60s, you might feel the same way, too. I experienced the 60s. No, I think you had two 50s and moved right on into the 70s. (laughs) Ironic, seeing someone who at least her husband thinks that he lived up the 60s in four months in California. Yes. Um, Now, Ray is not paying attention basically to this whole meeting. He's yep. writing ease his pain and doodling all over the minutes or a newsletter. I don't know what Something, it's supposed to be. Yeah. And while he's missing, Beulah calls him a weirdo. Yeah. And she calls him the biggest horse's ass in three counties. Which I mean, that seems like kind of an honor. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Annie gets up and yells, Who's with Eva Braun here? Who wants to ban <laughs> books? Who wants to yeah. put on the constitute who wants to spit on the Constitution of the United States? Yeah, I think she also says, at least he's not a Nazi cow. <laughs> Who thinks that we need to stand up the kind of censorship that they had under Stalin? Yeah. And so it's kind of ironic that, you know, this this scene 34 years ago would have been, all right, this scene obviously makes the poor, these idiots in Iowa look like the biggest bunch of, when honestly uh, we're having these fucking meetings again all, all you over the do- country. If you replace the banning the books with the COVID vaccine, this is this is this scene holds up extraordinarily yeah. well. I, the only thing that's different that's is if they, had, if they had that meeting today, which they probably will, Beulah would be the governor of Iowa. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. Um so Ray figures out that he needs to ease Terrence Mann's pain. Right. And Annie is not buying it. She's like, he's my favorite writer too, but what's Terrence Mann got to do with baseball? And how do you prove it? You go to the library and you hit the microfiche. That's what you got to do. Now, I don't know what li- what library that he would have gone to. He probably, I doubt they went all the way to Iowa City. It's a big right. university library. Right. Um, my guess is it's either the University of Dubuque or Loris College both of which are in Dubuque. And I tried to figure it out. I couldn't find, I found stuff like, I know the school that they were in um, was like Western, oh, it's an elementary school, Drexler Elementary in Farley, Iowa, um, which is six miles from from Dyersville. They don't say where the library was. I'm guessing it was the University of Dubuque Library. It's about four stories high. It is not the one from Iowa City, and it's not the one at Iowa State. But anyway, so he gets to go through, he's doing his research, and he finds what he thinks is um, is the tie-in. So he's telling Annie that he finds evidence that Terrence Mann was a huge baseball fan who dreamt of playing at Ebbets Field with Jackie Robinson. So now he's trying to convince Annie that he needs to go to Boston and find Terrence Mann and um, take him to a baseball game, take him to a Red Sox game. Right. And she says he can't go because they're going broke, which I believe. Yep, no doubt. Um, 
I get the money, the triple cost money, but he's a farmer. He's not getting any more money till October or November. So he might, you know, if you just have him hitchhike. And he, he offers, he's not going to spend any money. He's going to yeah. sleep in the car. Right. That'd be fun. Um, and, and honestly, if, other than going out in the field and digging up another corn plant and seeing if it still has roots, he doesn't have anything to do. He might as well go yeah. do it. Right. So what finally convinces her is that um, he's describing a dream that he had where he was at Fenway Park with Terrence Mann. He was keeping score. And she's like, is Fenway the one with the big green wall in left field? And he says, yes. And she says, she has the same dream. Right. So he's got to go. So Ray drives to Boston. So now this is interesting. I, wouldn't, I, would, I would not have figured this out. Um, the scenes where, okay, if you see him in the, of course he has a Volkswagen microbus. Of course right. he does. He's from the sixties. Is it exactly? They handed him out. You got, you've got to drive one of those. Right. When you see him in the Volkswagen, it's very clear that he's in Boston. Although you don't really see Kevin very much. You know, you can't really tell it's him, but you, you know that that's in Boston. Right. But when he gets out of the VW and he's walking around basically hassling people and trying to find Terrence Mann. It's very obvious when you watch and look for this, like that you see like a storefront and there's like a Red Sox poster hanging. Mm-hmm. And then there's even like one of the signs is Boston something. Mm-hmm. And there's a Boston Globe mailbox, like very prominently. Placed. Those were, that stuff was all filmed in Galena, Illinois. So was it? I knew Galena was the backdrop. Uh, it's for also Chisholm. Chisholm, Minnesota. Okay, so they've no, no. I'm they... Sorry, you're right. That was Dubuque. They went to Dubuque, Dubuque was Boston, and only in okay. that one scene where they had was the actual dialogue because they did obviously they did go because mm-hmm. you see that they went to Fenway and we you know Ben Affleck right. and Matt Damon got to be in it, but right. they didn't film that scene. They filmed locally. Okay. They didn't film it there. Uh, but it's funny when you see that it, it's very clearly they they are putting things in it to try to reinforce. Hey, look, we're in Boston. Hey, it's really Boston. There's a guy with a Red Sox hat. But they're not. Yeah. Um, finally, he finds a guy who gives him a lead as to where Terrence is. And Pays he goes him off. In, goes into this room, and there are no names on the mailboxes, but he sees that one of them has a business, and it's tie-dye software. And he's like, ah! Right. It's got to be a hippie. So it's going to be man's apartment, and it is. Um, and this is a good uh, this is a good scene the whole way through this is the he opens the door and who the hell are you and slams it in his face right and uh, he gets gets it open again and Terrence says I can't tell you the meaning of life and I don't have answers for you I don't give interviews and I'm no longer a public figure I just want to be left alone so piss off right do we should should, uh, do we should we tell folks who Terrence Mann is based on oh yes it's based on from the book it was based on J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger, right. J.D. Salinger was not flattered by his portrayal in the book. Right. Didn't like it and at all. It was very litigious, evidently, in his later years, and evidently threatened the studio. If you make this, when he found out they were making the movie, if you make this movie and I show up in here, I'm going to sue you. So they basically changed that to Terrence Mann. There are apparently people who thought that because of the all of the research that we see Ray doing about Terrence Mann and all the like clips they pull and they show that he was, that it, that was based on an actual, that there really was a Terrence Mann. Yeah. It makes you, makes you have that thought for sure. Yeah. And they said that the, uh, when Beulah holds up the book, the boat rocker mm-hmm. to say that it should be banned, the design of the book is patterned on the first edition of Jack Kerouac's on the road. 
Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say because the book because clearly no, they're I talking doubt about... that they they probably decided Jay's going to yeah. sue our ass, so we'll we go do with catch somebody her. else. Yeah, but they wanted to look like an iconic book from that time period, so they right, right, right. But clearly, like the book that the book that they want to ban is, and all that is Catcher in the Rye, and which in Terrence's Terrence is um, writing is called the Boat Rocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes up again. They direct. It's directly referenced. Yes, and one, maybe the funniest line in the whole movie. Um, right. So, anyways, he gets slammed in his face again. And he persists again. He's trying to explain why he's there. And he's like, oh, you're from the 60s. <laughs> That's yeah. uh, but finally he gets in the, he, he he's going to give him, he's going to give him a minute to talk. Right. And so um, he's still not having it. And he goes, you've changed. He's like, I suppose I have. Peace, love, dope. Peace, love, dope. He slams the door again. Oh, this is what happens. He slams the door again, but doesn't lock. It like bounces right. open. So Ray comes in with his, Hand shoved in his coat pocket. You really pissed me off. Okay, just hold it right there. I was hoping I wasn't going to have to do it this way. What the hell is that? It's a gun. What do you think it is? It's your finger. No, it's not. It's a gun. Yeah, let me see it. Get out of here. I'm not going to show you my gun. Now, look, I'm not going to hurt you. I just need you to come with me for a little while. And what are you, what are you doing? I'm going to beat you with a crowbar until you go away. Whoa, wait. You can't do that. There are rules here? Oh, no. There are no rules here. You're a pacifist. Shit. Shit. Nice. Right. Um, So anyway, Ray explains to him that he has to take him to that night's Red Sox A's game. Mm -hmm. And... Terrence like, you're going to kidnap me and take me to a baseball game. And he's like, yes. And finally, Terrence is like, fine. Right. Uh, then there's a there's a good scene where they're walking through the concourse in uh, Fenway Park, which has been in lots of movies, including like the town. There's a whole robbery on there yeah. in the town. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they're having this deep conversation, and Ray says to him, what do you want? <laughs> and Terrence goes, I want them to start thinking for themselves. He's like, no, what do you want? And he like waves and they're standing in front of the concession stand. Right. He goes, oh, and a dog and a beer. Yeah. There's three guys standing there with their arms folded. Like yeah. not a big line evidently for the dog and a beer. Okay. So did now you if, cut, if did you oh, catch how much? Yes. The price of the concession cost? stand. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So 1988 when they filmed this, apparently, a Fenway Frank would have cost you a buck 80. Yeah. A Polish sausage. A lot more. $2.25. Oof. Pretzels are $1.85. And then I found this odd. So the, the sponsor, the big sponsor, is Archway Cookies. Yeah. And you can buy a cookie for $0.85. Cents. Like, who's <laughs> going to the ballpark to get, like, a when I think of Archway, I think of those molasses cookies. Yeah. You know, it's not buying me some peanuts and a molasses cookie, but that's that's what it was. I remember two, two dogs and two beers, seven bucks. I'm like, oh, you have not been to Wrigley Field in a while. <laughs> it's not that long ago. It's not that long ago that it should be so much more expensive. Yeah. Or two dogs and two beers, it'd be 40 bucks or whatever. Uh, I did not bother to go back and look, because I'm sure you could figure if you could figure out um, what game they're actually at. I'm sure it's easily attainable, yeah. which A's Red Sox game it is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, Rays keep it score, just like he's supposed to. And right. we see number 24 line out to center. And... Um, then you hear, 
And the scoreboard, the big scoreboard next to the, under the Sitgo sign out there, has Jose Canseco on it, and then he, over him, and then over some highlights, it says Archibald Moonlight Graham, Chisholm, Minnesota, and I forget what else. It's like uh, one game played no at-bats, or whatever. Right. And uh, Terrence sees Ray kind of like confused and looking out yes. there, and he's like, what what's the matter? At? He's like, he didn't yeah. see that? And he goes, see what? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I guess you didn't need to be here. Mm-hmm. Which pisses Terrence off, because he's like, we can go now. It's like, you don't get right. the whole fucking game. You drag me into this game, and I don't get to watch the whole thing. Yeah, right, right, right. He's like, sorry, I guess you didn't need to be here. So they um, get back in the VW, and they're heading to Terrence's apartment. And yep. they have a little conversation. I wish I had your passion, Ray. Misdirected though it might be, it is still a passion. I used to feel that way about things, but... You got another message, didn't you? You think I'm crazy. I already think you're crazy. What did it say? Said the man's done enough. Leave him alone. But, you know, of course, before then, as always happens in movies, you can be in the busiest street in America, but there's always a parking spot right up mm-hmm. front where America pulls right of it. And they have this car, and for some reason, and he, and he gets out. They shake hands, so they're friends now. We know it was a good, it was a good exchange. And we're not real sure why, but he Ray decides to turn the van around. Yeah, does a U-turn. <laughs> U-turn? Can't just go up and turn. Like, no, apparently can't do that. Iowa is this way, and I got to go this way. I got to do a U-turn to get to Iowa. <laughs> you know, you could just turn right at the next block, fifty feet ahead, Ray, and you'd be fine. But as he does the U-turn, he has to slam on the brakes because Terrence Mann is standing right in his way. Right, dramatically. And he goes, Moonlight Graham. <laughs> you saw it? Did you hear the voice, too? Go the distance. Yeah. It's like, yes, do you know what it means? It means we're going to Minnesota to find Moonlight Graham. Yeah. So now they're on a road trip. And he goes, so bitchin'. He says that at some point. <laughs> he was on the road. or Yeah, we're going to go, so bitchin'. Okay. Um... Yeah, so uh, they're on the road to Chisholm. She's talking. He's he's telling them. He's telling her that he's taking he Terrence right. Man, and they're going to Minnesota, and they're going to go find this guy. And right. She says everything's great. You don't see her. You only hear her. Right. And after she hangs up, then they show the house, and Timothy Busfield and two schlubby looking bankers are standing in the in her living room. Right. At at again, it's probably it's after dark. So why are they there so yes. late at night? <laughs> <laughs> it's after I mean I guess we don't know if it's that first night maybe we could be real late they went to the they went to the game stayed for at least part of it yeah went back to Terrence's house did a U-turn drove yeah. part way to Minnesota got to a hotel and, the, <laughs> and Timothy Busfield still hanging out in his it, sister's it, house it, with his it, two bankers at one, one in the morning <laughs> at 1.30 a.m. so now we get they get to Chisholm, Minnesota and that is actually downtown Galena and I've been to Galena lots of times, and it's funny to see recognizable things in the background, especially the. And they really like show it's picturesque. There's a Galena is the is other than San Francisco, like the hilliest town in America. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And there okay. are in a couple of places. There's these big staircases that get you down from a street up above down to like shops and stuff. And they shoot a couple of them because they're they make for a nice background. That's the whole reason yeah. there in the background. Um. 
So I mean, so they're trying to figure out how are they going to find Moonlight Graham, and Terrence mm-hmm. is like, I know who to go see, and they go to the local newspaper. Right. Which is actually a pretty good idea. And then, of course, there's an old lady. Yep. Who says, oh, you mean Doc Graham. Mm-hmm. He goes, Doc, Doc Graham. Yes. Right. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, okay. And so why would you yeah. see him? Well, he's been dead since 1972. Right. So that's Ouch. not great. Yeah. 16 years ago. But um, she walks them, she takes them back into the archives and tells them stories about Doc and shows them newspaper yep. clippings and she reads one from she reads part of his obituary and how you know, all the you know all the kids in Chisholm if they needed medicine or they needed tickets to a ball game or whatever those would miraculously appear in their pocket from courtesy right. of old Doc Graham and he says something about it's a good writing because mm. you know she wrote it and she he goes yeah, and he says you're a good writer and she tells him and says you're a good writer too which is funny. so are you that was good yeah um, so that lady um. Some of the people in that are actually from Chisholm, Minnesota. Oh, really? They heard about because um, Doc Graham is a real, real person. guy, right? And so they came down to Galena to be in some of the scenes, like the the people they interview, like they interview the guy in the bar. Um, he actually, be, which I think might be Dirty Gertz. Um, he's like from Chisholm. So it's kind okay. of neat that they. You know, they they work them in. Uh, I don't. Right, she's yeah, an right. she's not one of them. She's an actress, and right, um, she is. She died before the movie came out. It was her last movie. Oh no! Oh jeez, didn't get to see that. Uh, one thing I noticed though, while um, uh, Terrence is like sitting there and he's he's reading these clips, he has his glasses off mm-hmm. and he's using a magnifying glass to read the paper. Yeah, so, like, maybe <laughs> maybe go get your prescription. Oh uh, uh, yeah, updated. Updated. There, right, uh, Terrence. Uh, they go back to the hotel, and this is funny. Um, Ray is reading the paper, and he laughs. And he goes, did you know you're missing? All right. And Terrence reads it, and he's like, oh, i got to call my dad. <clears throat> so then Ray goes for a walk. Yep. And all of a sudden, he's just walking through downtown Chisholm, and he sees a reelect Nixon poster. Mm-hmm. And he sees the marquee on the movie theater says the godfather one of this year's best yeah this year's now we see in the background we see bert lancaster walking you can't really tell it's bert but they have described doc with his hat and his umbrella took an umbrella everywhere and you see him walking in the background um so then he sees him and he goes up and he calls him moonlight no one's Mm -hmm. gonna do that for a very long time no one's gonna call him like ram in 50 years yeah you know he's out going for a walk and ray asks if he can go with Mm mm-hmm so Doc tells the story of his one game in the big league what do you want to talk to me about well when you got to the majors you you played only one inning of one game what happened that inning it was the last day of the season bottom of the eighth inning we were way ahead I'd been up with the club about uh, oh about three weeks but I hadn't seen any action suddenly old John McGraw points a bony finger in my direction and he says right field Yes, sir. I jumped up like I was uh, sitting on the spring. Grabbed my glove and ran out on the field. Did you get to make a play? I never hit the ball out of the infield. Game ended, the season was over. I knew they sent me back down. I couldn't bear the thought of another year in the minors. So I... I decided to hang him up. 
Oh, sit down. Thank you. So what was that like? It was like having this close to your dreams. And then watch them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. And now, Ray Kinsella, I want to ask you a question. What's so interesting about a half an inning that would make you come all the way from Iowa to talk to me about it 50 years after it happened? I didn't really know till just now, but I think it's to ask you if you could do anything you wanted, if you could have a, a wish. And are you the kind of a man who could grant me that wish? I don't know. I'm just asking. Well, you know, I... I never got to bat in the major leagues. I'd have liked to have that chance just once. To stare down a big league pitcher. To stare him down, and just as he goes into his wind-up... Wake. Make him think you know something he doesn't. That's what I wish for. Chance to squint at a sky so blue that it hurts your eyes just to look at it. To feel the tingle in your arm as you connect with the ball. To run the bases, stretch a double into a triple, and flop face first into third. Wrap your arms around the bag. That's my wish, Reconcilla. That's my wish. And is there enough magic out there in the moonlight to make this dream come true? What would you say if I said yes? I think I'd actually believe you. And Ray says there's a place he can go that he can do that. And Mm -hmm. Doc turns him down. Yep. So that's the end of that. And then the movie's over, and they... Oh. And then they said, yeah, right. <sighs> yeah, so he says, son, if I'd only gotten to be a doctor for five minutes, that'd have been the tragedy. Now I gotta get home. Alicia will think I got a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray goes back to the hotel and tells Terrence right. that he met Doc somehow 16 right. years after he died, which Terrence is skipped, like... He kind of yeah. skipped over the... He kind of skipped over the time travel part, didn't he? Yeah. I don't think he mentions... Oh, like, you yeah. know, I time traveled. Yeah. <laughs> By this point... Terrence is like, this makes perfect sense. Much yep, sense as anyone else in this tracking you. Right. But he tells me, oh, you got to call your wife. Right. Um, and she explains that the bank sold the deed to her brother. Kind of a dick thing for the brother. To do. Pretty much a dick um, thing. And, and needs, again, this and is he, all over $600, as we pointed out painstakingly earlier. Yeah. $600, all this financial uh, direness. So he tells her he can't come home, can't come straight home. He's got to take Terrence back to Boston. Mm-hmm. But Terrence says he wants to come to Iowa. Right. So the next morning they hop in the VW and they're driving and they see a hitchhiker. And he says something like, yep. I need all the karma I can get or whatever. And he pulls over and this um, young lad yep. with a bag and a baseball bat over his shoulder. I wouldn't pick up a guy with a baseball bat. I don't think he's a hitchhiker. Right. Hops in. They introduce themselves and he says, I'm Archie Graham. Yeah. Well, first he goes, oh, you're the first car. You're the first car that came by. Oh, yeah. So, we know, we just, just appeared right before. Yes. And he's, I'm, I'm Archie Graham. And then we have the big moment of realization. And they realize they got moonlight as a youngster traveling in the car. Okay. So, Archie tells him that he hears there are towns all over the Midwest with teams. And they find people jobs during the day so they can play at nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he falls asleep. 
passed right. out in the back in the van, and uh, Ray and Terrence are talking, and yep. uh, Ray says, "You know, my dad did that." For well, it's funny the way he described towns. You know, finding you a job so that you could play on their team. They haven't done that for years. My dad did that for a while, but that was in the twenties. What happened to your father? He never made it as a ball player, so he tried to get his son to make it for him. By the time I was 10, playing baseball got to be like eating vegetables or taking out the garbage. So when I was 14, I started to refuse. Can you believe that? American boy refusing to have a catch with his father? Why 14? That's when I read The Boat Rocker by Terrence Mann. Oh, God. Never played catch with him again. You see, that's the kind of crap people always try to lay on me. I'm, it's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with I'm, your father. I know. Like, I know, I know, I know. Which I think is yeah. the funniest movie. Funniest that is line a, movie. a great line. It's not my great. fault you wouldn't play catch with your father. Right. And then we get to this awful thing that Ray tells his yeah. father. What was that thing <laughs> you said to your father? I could. I told him... I could never respect a man whose hero was a criminal. Well, who was his hero? <laughs> Shoeless Joe. You knew he wasn't a criminal. Why did you say I'm, that? Guy <laughs> was 17. Yeah, now, by the way, is that really that terrible? No. You know, you're a piece of shit, drunk, who doesn't support us. That would be kind of terrible. Yeah. I could never respect a man whose hero was a criminal? Yeah. That's not all that. When his crime was that being banned from baseball? Like now, the crime you go to jail. Yeah, it's not Manson. <laughs> yeah, he says something like, "Because I was seventeen, son of a bitch died before I could take it back." And yeah. then Terrence says, oh, "This geez. is your penance. Now I know everyone's purpose here, except mine." Yeah, your penance for that horrible thing yes. you said about what? Okay. So anyway, so they get they get to the farm, and Ray introduces Annie and Karen to Archie, and he says he's here mm-hmm. to practice with the team, and that's when Annie says he's going to be able to do a lot more than that. And they, <laughs> they shoot the field, and there's a bunch of guys out there. See all kinds yep. of different uniforms. Yep. And Joe tells him, Ray, I hope you don't mind. We got tired of having just practices, so we brought in we brought in another team out so we could play some real games. He's like, I don't mind. Where'd they come from? And Archie. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, Starts first he goes, where'd they come from? You wouldn't believe how many guys wanted to come play. And Archie spots Smokey Joe Wood, Mel Ott, and Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges, right. Ty Cobb wanted to play. None of us could stand a son of a bitch when we were alive, so we told him to stick it. <laughs> and, and then he gives a great classic Ray Liotta laugh. <laughs> basically, like the, it's basically the same laugh that he would give a year later in Goodfellas. When yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Why am I funny? You just funny. yeah, you, the way you say things, it's funny. <laughs> what the way you tell the story and everything. So this is when, um, so Archie, they basically. Joe's like, uh, well, he came here to play, didn't you? Yeah. So um, Archie goes, puts on his uniform, and we see him uh, walking up to taking a bat. And uh, Eddie Cicotte, or Cicotte, or whatever. Whatever they call him. To call him. Chicote, whatever He's pitching, and we know what's going to happen. Archie yeah. digs in. Eddie starts to wind up, and Archie winks at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eddie throws it at his head. Right. And uh, Chick Gandil or Gandal, whatever they say, they call him, <laughs> yells at him. Oh! Watch it, boys! Hey, hey! Don't let him shake you up, Bart. Hang in there, buddy. Hey, Knuckles, what do you throw at the kid for? He winked at me. Don't wink, kid. Hey, 
Um, and then somebody yells, good thing for you, he didn't throw a fastball. And Archie goes, let's see that fastball. And they're all like, uh, oh, no. And he throws <laughs> in again. Right. So Archie pops up and goes, hey, ump, how about a warning? And the ump pulls his mask off and goes, sure thing, kid. Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> Funny line. This whole scene's pretty good because then Joe, uh, Joe calls timeout. And he's like waves right. Archie over to the chain link to talk to him. Right, which by the way, so C or Chicati Seacott is pitching, and yet Joe's on the bench, so he's on the other team. Yeah. So they're clearly not playing like White Sox versus uh, anybody else. Time, <laughs> time. <laughs> All right, those first two were high and tight. So what do you think the next one's going to be? Well, either loan away or in my ear. He's not going to want to load the bases, so look for low and away. Right. But watch out for in your ear. Great line. Yeah. Yep. So Archie hits the ball to center field. It's caught. Yep. Runner tags, scores from third. Sacrifice so fly. He got to bat, but he didn't have an official at bat. His right. unlike Adam Moonlight Greenberg, his official his uh his record remains unbesmirched. Right. Because instead of being 0 for 0 with a hit in the head, like Adam Greenberg was, Adam ended up 0 for 1 with a hit in the head, because he came back and got one at bat for the Marlins a few years later. Okay, right, gotcha. So then it's the next day, and we see Mark show up, and he's just walking across the field because he doesn't see any of the players. The pitcher almost <laughs> right. hits him, and there yell- guys funny. are yelling at him. What guy's going to try to rush him, and another yeah. guy tackles him. And he starts arguing with Ray, and Terrence points, and he's like, he's pointing at the players, like, he can't? And he's like, yeah. no. no. And he's like, well, then he's like, he points at Terrence Mann. He's like, well, who's, or there's, there's baseball players out there. And he points at, right. well, who's this? Elvis? <laughs> he, goes, that's, he goes, that's Terrence Mann. And he shakes his hand and goes, oh, okay, how do you do? I'm the Easter Bunny. <laughs> uh, so Mark tells Ray that he has no money, a stack of bills that could choke a pig, and come fall, no crop to sell. Mm. Well, except for all, uh, the corn that's growing on the either 198 or 298 acres that we can see all around him. Apparently, he's he just doesn't have two acres of a crop. He's got other a than, crop. Other than 99% of your farm, you have nothing to nothing to farm. Nothing. No, you have no yield. But Mark does make him a fairly attractive offer. Yes. He's going to buy the farm. Ooh. At, and it's uh, at 2,200 bucks an acre. And he's going to let him live in the house for free. What a guy. Hmm. I mean, obviously, you can't live on that forever, but... uh, Right. uh, But uh, Karen stands up on the bleachers. She's eating a hot dog. She stands up on the bleachers and tells her dad that he doesn't need to sell. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark and Mary yell at each other. That's when he finds out it's 220 bucks an acre, which that means the baseball field is standing on is worth a whopping $4,400 worth of land. Okay. And Karen's like, Daddy, you don't need to sell the farm. And Mark's yelling at her. And Ray right. tells him to shut up and ask for her to explain because you need this when you're having a serious discussion about your finances, you need the six year old to wait. <laughs> to explain it, right? And she goes, People will come. Mm-hmm. And he's like, What people? It's like, People from all over. They'll decide to take a vacation. They'll come to Iowa City. They'll think it's really boring. So they'll drive up and want to pay us, like buying a ticket. Mm-hmm. And Mark is like, What the hell is she talking about? And he hands Ray some paperwork. Apparently, like, wants him to sign the agreement, right. whatever it is. And that's what Terrence stands up and gives gives the speech. This the, reason, the, the reason James Earl Jones wanted to make the movie 
when he read it. Right. It's James Earl Jones, despite the fact he would later be in the Sandlot, and without looking it up, we think he was in Bingo Long of Traveling All-Stars, did not like baseball. Mm-hmm. Had no interest in being in the movie until he's like, oh, I want to give the speech, and even joked with his wife, I'll make the movie, and they'll cut this speech. <laughs> right. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they'd dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Ray says again, I'm not signing. Right. Karen's standing there eating a hot dog, and Mark grabs her for some that reason. Does, which does not hold up too well. She falls today. off the bleachers, and she's out cold. Just Right. I mean, she dead falls. Caesar. Probably, it's like 10 feet, it yeah, looks like. It's especially pretty good for, fall. And, uh, she's six years old. She's probably dead. It's a big fall, yeah. So Annie runs to call an ambulance, and Ray tells her to wait. Yeah, wait. Yeah, wait. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they look you're... over, and Archie is walking towards the thing. Now it's been established earlier where they invited on the night they first met um, Jules Joe. She invited him up to the house, and he looks down. There's like, like a gravel strip, right, that separates the field even from like the seats, and he clearly can't cross it. Right, and so Archie stops and he looks down, and um, again, meanwhile, Andy could be calling for help. Yes, because they're a little you could too do, calm. You could do both. You the could do both. It's I. It's rural Iowa. It's gonna take twenty minutes for the ambulance to show easily. Up. Yeah, the it's not gonna be there for an hour yeah. anyway. Maybe go call, and we'll see if Frank Whaley turns into Burt Lancaster. But he's kind of betting it all that that that's gonna happen. So. Archie has stopped at the gravel and Ray realizes that he can't, that Archie can't walk past. And Archie drops his glove and takes a step across the gravel and he turns into Doc Graham. Frank Whaley becomes Burt Lancaster and Mark sees him. Right. 
And he goes, this child's choking to death. And he whacks her on the back and hot dog flies out. By the way, I guess there was no Heimlich maneuver no. back in 1980. <laughs> he does the patch on the back. Yeah. Gets it out. Um, Ray thanks the Doc, who thanks mm-hmm. him. And then he realizes that Doc can't go back. Right. And he goes, it's all right. Best be getting home before Alicia thinks I have a girlfriend. So right. call back to the. Yep. Yep. He walks through the play. He walks through the players and they all shake his hand. Like, and- way to go, Doc. And Joe stops him. Hey, rookie! You were good. Yeah. And then that's when Mark, he's, he's seen Doc and he looks around and says, when did these ball players get here? Do not sell this farm, Ray. You gotta keep this farm. <laughs> Mark, you've had a very rough day once. Go inside and get something cold to drink. Yeah, thanks for thanks for hanging on. And as Bert walks up, he goes, win one, win one, win one for me one day, will you boys? <laughs> That's all very touching. Do not sell this farm, Ray. So the players leave. And Chulis Joe shouts out, Do you want to come with us? And Ray thinks He's talking to him. He's yep. like, yeah, I want to come. But he's not. No, and he gets pissed. Ooh, because he's, he's talking to Terry. He's inviting Terrence Mann, not Ray, to come out. Hey, do you want to come with us? You mean it? No, not you. Him. Him? Come with you? Out there. What is out there? Come and find out. Wait a second. Wait a second. Why him? I built this field. You wouldn't be here Great. if it weren't for me. Well, sick. you wouldn't be here I'm if it weren't. You have a family. I know, but I want to know what's out there. I want to see it. But you're not invited. Not invited? What do you mean I'm not invited? That's my corn out there. You guys are guests in my corn. Right. No, wait. I have done everything I've been asked to do. I didn't understand it, but I've done it. And I haven't once asked what's in it for me. What are you saying, Ray? I'm saying, what's in it for me? Is that why you did this? For you? Is that why you did all this? For you? Now, I think a reasonable response would be like, yeah, well, kind of. I got to want something out of this. You know? So uh, Terrence admits that he gave the interview about Ebbets Field, which he had denied. Right. To Ray when he was in his apartment. He goes, he's, he's going to go see what's out there and write about it. So he says, I want a full description. And mm-hmm. Terrence says, take care of this family. And he heads for the corn. And it's kind of funny how, like, he literally stands there, he, like, sticks his arm in and pulls it back yeah. out. He, like, starts yeah. to walk in and he stops. That's, what, that's how you do it, right? What the hell is this? Yeah. And then he finally walks in and we see him disappear. Right. So then Annie and Ray... I've uh, turned around and they're heading back to the house and Joe is just standing there grinning at them. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> what are you grinning at, you ghost? If you build it, he will come. 
is it? It's my father. Ease his pain. Go the distance. It was you. No, Ray. It was you. So there's a nice moment where, because he, because his dad was an old man and died, he died, he died after the wedding, but we, he says in the thing that he never met Annie, obviously he never right. met Karen. Mm-hmm. So he introduces John to Annie mm-hmm. and to Karen. And um, John's looking around and he's like, uh, can I ask you something? Is this heaven? <laughs> no, it's still Iowa. Still Iowa, yeah. Iowa? Could have sworn it was heaven. You catch a good game. Thank you. It's so beautiful here. For me, well, for me, it's like a dream come true. Can I ask you something? Is is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? dreams come true. <laughs> Maybe this is heaven. Maybe this is heaven, yeah. And then the most controversial part of the movie. This is a people will argue this forever, and I feel like it's already been solved in dialogue previously in the movie. Okay. Good night, Ray. Good night, John. Hey, Dad. You want to have a catch? I'd like that. Ray says, Hey, Dad, want to have a catch? Oh, right. And as we know, it's it's play catch. It's not have a catch. And we know this because earlier, Terrence had yelled at him, that's when I read The Boat Rocker by Terrence Mann. Oh, God. Never played catch with him again. You see, that's the kind of crap people always try to lay on me. I'm... It's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with I'm... your father. I know. Your father. Yep, not my fault you wouldn't play catch with your father. 
Right. Uh, but they decide to have a catch. Have a catch. And that's when we see Dwyer Brown, uh, not the best thrower in the world. But right, right. Fine. And that's the first time that it's revealed that he, it's the first time he calls him dad. Yes. So now. Hey, dad, want to have a catch. And there's and everybody kind of knows, like, you know, John knows he, he's his dad. Ray knows he's dad. It's all, yeah. So we see him playing catch. And then the mm-hmm. camera is obviously at some point switches to in a plane because it's mm-hmm. maybe, a, maybe a helicopter in 1988. And you get this overhead shot of them still playing catch. But then you see this long line of headlights. Mm-hmm. And basically they uh, had to um, they had to do two things. They uh, put out a call to everybody in Dyersville and the surrounding area to come be in the movie. Come on out. Sitting in your car. Oh, and leaving God. the headlights on. Oh. And not only that, but the farms that were on either side of the road, they had to shut off any light so that it would right. be, it would stand out more. And they said that in order to give the uh, the illusion there was a little movement, they were coordinating them turning their brights on and off. Okay. So that it would kind of flicker on the Right. Thing. But you get right. that it's a it's an iconic shot. When you think of field dreams, one of the things you think of is that I mean, it goes for miles, that line of cars. They're all lined up to come see Frank Schwindel. If they did it today, they'd throw a drone up at night, yeah. and then some poor sap in a VFX suite would sit there and have to, like, draw in these things that's that look it, like headlights. But back then, happened. they actually did it practically. Real cars, yep. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. So you're right. It's, a, it. it's an economical hour 47, like what, hour 37 without credits? I, uh, yeah. So, yeah, right. Hour 45 total runtime. That includes credits, obviously. So, yeah, they get they get through it. Yeah. Uh, so facts about the movie. There was an actual Archibald Moonlight Graham. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the people Terrence is interviewing in the bar were people who knew the real Doc Graham. They found out about the movie and the inclusion of Doc's character drove from Chisholm to Iowa. And the stories the men shared were actual stories about Doc. Because Doc actually practiced medicine in Chisholm. Yes. That actually happened. Uh, he was a real baseball player on June 29th, 1905. He played one game with the Giants. Following the game, he continued playing professionally until 08, mostly in the New York State League, until retiring at the age of 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, we told a story about Ben and Matt. Um, you know, one thing that is not answered, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but one of the one of the connections that, that is made in the film is that Terrence Mann wrote a character named John Kinsella that was based on Ray's dad. But that's never explained. Like, why did you write? Was it a coincidence? Was it a real, was it purposeful? That's not, do we know anything about that? Uh, how about this? Okay. So in the novel, um, which was actually, well, I'll get to the, what the name of the novel was, because it's uh, in the novel that this is based on. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeking fictional author Terrence Mann, Ray Kinsella seeks real-life 60s author J.D. Salinger. In 1947, right. Salinger wrote a movie called A Young Girl in 1941 with No Waste at All. Featured a character named Ray Kinsella, and his most famous work, the novel The Catcher in the Rye, one of Holden Caulfield's classmates, is Richard Kinsella. Okay. Uh, in the original novel, Ray has a twin brother named Richard, which was dumped in the movie. Okay. So the Kinsella thing, actually, it's from the original thing that it's based on okay um so the movie after the movie was completed test audiences didn't like the original title do you know what the original title was was it just shoeless joe it was just shoeless shoeless Shoeless. Uh, 
That's really stupid. They said it's okay. not like a movie about a bum or a hobo. Universal called yeah. director screenwriter Phil Alden Robinson to tell him that Shoeless Joe. Well, no, it must have been Shoeless Joe. I don't know why it didn't yeah, Shoeless Joe. The first part. It wouldn't Shoeless make any Joe. sense. Yeah. It didn't work. And the studio changed the title of the film to Field of Dreams. When Robinson heard the news of the change, he called W.P. Kinsella, the author, and told him the bad news. But apparently, W.P. didn't care, saying that Shoeless Joe was the title the publishing company gave the book. Kinsella's no. original title was Dream Field. Oh, there you go. So Field of Dreams is actually better than Pretty Dream close. Field. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amy Madigan was a hit in Dubuque. She was offered a job as a bartender during filming. The owner didn't know she was an actress. That's funny. During filming, Iowa was in the middle of a drought, and the cornfields surrounding the diamond had to be given lots of extra water in order to grow tall enough for the actress to disappear into the stalks. As a result, the corn grew too fast for the Costner shots. When the corn is above his shoulders early in the movie, he is walking on an elevated plank. Oh, really? It was actually too good. (laughs) Yeah. Again, uh, thrilling, thrilling the townspeople. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. During a lunch with the Iowa Chamber of Commerce, Phil Alden Robinson broached his idea of the final scene in which headlights could be seen for miles along the horizon. Chamber folks replied it could be done, and the shooting of the final scene became a community event. The film crew was hidden on the farm to make sure aerial shots did not reveal them. Dyersville was then blacked out and local extras drove their vehicles to the field in order to give the illusion of movement drivers instructed to continuously switch between their low and high beams. Thousands of pallets of green grass were brought in to make the baseball field, but due to the haste in planning because of the shooting schedule, the grass was not able to grow appropriately and died. Mm. Now, this is good. This is, I'm sure they just called up the bears because they said in order to keep the grass green, the production crew painted the grass. Oh, nice. Been doing that at Soldier Field for decades. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, story depended on the farm having row after row of high corn, but when shooting was set to begin, the crop was stunted due to the worst drought in Iowa since the Dust Bowl. Three weeks before shooting was scheduled for the fields, the company spent $25,000 to truck in water from the Mississippi to help the corn grow. That's pissed off the neighbors. Mm-hmm. As, a hedge against, as a hedge against that possibly failing, production designer Dennis Gassner ordered 50,000 silk corn stocks from South Korea. But it turned out to be wow. not necessary as the crop began to grow in time. Huh. Um, yeah, Charles Gordon later related how the production and farm owner became unpopular among the locals whose own crops were suffering in the drought. Uh-huh, I bet. James Earl Jones decided to do the film after his wife read the script and became mesmerized by People Will Come speech. Both joked they concerns the scene would be cut from the film. Uh, Don Lansing, the owner of the property chosen, agreed to let production reconfigure his house and open it up inside to accommodate cameras and equipment. He was paid $12,000 for his consent, plus an air conditioning system was installed, the porch was built, and floors were leveled. And by leveled, they don't mean destroyed, they mean it's a rickety old farmhouse, and he finally had level floors in it again. That's a pretty good deal. Now, it's I wondered, because when you watch it, there's a scene where there, I believe it's the scene where... She, He's telling her he needs to go to Boston, and she's telling them they can't afford it. They walk up the stairs in the middle of the house, mm-hmm. and the upstairs is just their bedroom. Like, right. there's no door. They literally walk up into the middle of it. And I'm like, there's no farmhouse in the world that's built like that. Well, apparently that would have been as a, as a result of them, you know, opening things up. Ah, okay. Cameras and stuff. Because at, at one point, you see him put Karen to bed in her room. She's got a door. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. On the first floor. Huh. Okay. 
Uh, Steve Easton's character, Eddie Seacott, or Scotty, or whatever, is the pitcher <laughs> who almost hits Archie Graham at the plate. Coincidentally, it was Seacott who plunked the first batter of the 1919 World Series as a signal to the gamblers that the fix was in. So perhaps not so coincident. Yes. Coincidentally. Uh, according to Phil Alden Robinson, Kevin Costner was the studio's first choice to play Ray, but having just starred in Bull Durham the year before. Wow, that was that close. Okay. In 1988-1989, they didn't think he'd want to be in a second straight baseball movie. Ultimately, one studio executive slipped the script to Costner, who immediately expressed interest in the film. Nice. Okay, the voice is credited simply as himself, and the himself. identity of the actor who provided it remains unknown. Mm-hmm. WP Kinsella has a theory about who he thinks the voice was. Who do you think the voice was? Well, the theory that I've read, and even though it sounds nothing like him, is Ed Harris. Amy Madigan's husband. Yes. So that would have been that's who WP Kinsella thinks it was. Others have speculated it's Ray Liotta, Timothy Busfield, or Kevin mm-hmm. Costner. Nobody seems I'm, to think Why is that the, well such a mystery about who the voice is? Um, while waiting for uh, Kevin to to uh, express interest, uh, one other famous actor was approached about playing Ray Kinsella. Do you know who Ooh. it was? He'd also, let's see, he either was just making a baseball movie or, I got to see the year of this. This is 1988. Yeah. Just making a baseball okay. movie. Okay, there he would he would make a baseball movie three years later. So he had never been in one. Never been in one. What's got to be? Did, although he did have a famous baseball esque scene in one of his finest movies that he's ever made, hmm. where he immorally screamed, "The Cleveland wins the pennant." See, um. Well, it's got to be obviously a big star if it's if it's, it's uh, a big star. It's about 1988, 89. Uh, yeah, it's about the biggest. Huh. At the time, he was really hitting his. Yeah. Still active today. It's not Tom Cruise. Nope, close. Huh? Who is it? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Okay. Yes. So he had not made a League of Their Own yet. Nope. He'd make that a couple years. Yeah, threw me off. I didn't think that was. Uh, I didn't think that was so much later. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the Cleveland Wins Pennant was the great tennis scene in Bachelor Party. Oh, playing, that's right. Him and Tony Katan are playing Fantastic. doubles with her parents, and he keeps hitting the ball out of the thing. And then you see that's the neighbor. Right. One of these days, I'm going to kick that son of a bitch's ass. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, W.P. Kinsella, the author of the original novel, reviewed the movie for a Canadian periodical. He <laughs> gave it four stars out of five. Ooh. For two rough. reasons. Okay. He didn't think the character of Mark was villainous enough. Okay. And he didn't think Gabby Hoffman looked like she could be Kevin Costner and Amy Madigan's kid. I wanted to say that's a stupid reason. It's, it's a very stupid thing. Okay. When Ray's All in right. the feed store and talks to a fellow former about hearing voices, there mm-hmm. is a song you could hear in the background. Mm. It's Crazy by Patsy Cline. Oh, that's right. I remember that now that I've seen it. Yeah. Which that Ross Perot would famously use. How many Wyatt Earps are in the movie? How many Wyatt Earps? How many Wyatt Earps? What the hell is a Wyatt Earp? Who's Wyatt Earp? How many Wyatt Earps? How many Wyatt Earps? Seven. Two. Kevin Costner and Burt Lancaster. Burt oh, Lancaster Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. 
I thought you were okay. There was like some Easter egg or something oh, here. It wasn't. Yeah. I didn't know that. Obviously, Kevin played Wyatt Earp. Kevin played Wyatt Earp. Burt Lancaster played him in 1957 in Gunfight at the OK Corral. Yeah. Amy Madigan and Gabby Hoffman worked together two movies that year, Uncle Buck and Field of Dreams. In Field of Dreams, Amy plays her mother in Uncle Buck. Gabby's mother is different, but Amy plays the girlfriend. The girlfriend of John Candy. Uh, Other actresses who were considered to play Karen. Mm. Not Karen. Annie. Playing Annie. Amy Madigan's character. Okay. Karen Allen. Okay. Good Kim one. Basinger. Can't see that. Okay. Jamie Barbara Lee Curtis. Hers- Barbara Hershey got to be in the consideration. Uh, no. No. Okay. Gina Davis. Oh, yeah. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Interesting. Mary okay. Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Okay. Demi Moore. Hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yep. Meg Ryan. Molly Ringwald. Renee Russo, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, interesting. All Allie the biggie, G, Madeline yep. Stowe, or Susan Sarandon. Huh. So the year at there's no way how you spell there, there's you a way they that. Could have done. There's no way. Yeah. Now I wonder. I think the list is probably bullshit because there's a huge list here for Ray, and we know that basically they just wanted Kevin. Yeah. But here's well, what they listed. Now, there's one guy. Actually, I'll ask you this. Uh, Kevin Costner, obviously, is great in it. I can think of one guy who would have been every bit as good and has a baseball background. Okay. Is he on this list? He is on the list. He was one of the guys that they apparently considered. Okay. Pete Lecoq. Kurt Russell. <laughs> oh, Kurt Russell. I see. I don't think he'd be as good as Kevin. I like Kurt. I could see him. I could see him playing the the guy who the corn talked to him, and he'd be obviously be believable in the baseball scenes, considering he yeah was a professional baseball player. Right. So the guys on the list, that's uh, list is bullshit. It's like every actor. Of course, the actress list. The big actor in 1988. I'm sure. Yeah. Alec funny. Baldwin. Jeff okay. Bridges. Yep. Tom Cruise. Yep. Michael Douglas. Richard Dreyfus. Just Richard play Dreyfuss. your uh. Play your uh, three uh, close encounters. Just be crazy yeah. again. Maybe you right, can make right, a baseball right. out of mashed potatoes. <laughs> Harrison Ford. The biggest stars. Yeah, they're just going through the biggest stars. Richard Gear. Yeah. Mel Gibson. Ed Harris. William Hurt. There's one I hear that made me laugh when I heard Tommy Lee Jones. Michael Keaton. I could see Michael Keaton. Yeah, that I could see. Uh, Christopher Lambert. Because you need the Highlander. <laughs> Michael Nury. Dennis Quaid. Okay. Kurt Russell, Patrick Swayze, Bruce Willis, and how about this? You could have had Emma Thompson and Gary Oldman. Wouldn't that now have that made for be... a great... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have been great. <sighs> All right. Uh, who would? Uh, who should Trey Wilson have played? You know, it wouldn't be... It would, it would be very small roles, but maybe he would have made him bigger. He, I would have to say he's either, he'd, have, he'd either have to be Chicot or Gan Gandil. Uh, I think he would have made a great mark. Yeah, you're going to say Timothy Busfield. Yeah. He could have just been chewing Ray's ass about yeah. what a terrible farmer he is, and how he's he's going to his his sister and his niece are going to be homeless because you're a shiftless he, farmer. He would have definitely been more villainous, yeah. satisfying uh, J.P. Kinsella. All right, so who would you have played in the movie? I'm I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Gand with uh, Chicot. All right, 
small role. I but would have I would have been Shoeless Joe. Because okay. unlike Ray Liotta, I bat left-handed and throw right-handed. Oh, I see, would not have had to have faked any of it. <laughs> and I know from slinging the ball around on that field that I would have, I would have looked great. See, there you go. Doing it. There you go. Um, All right, so now this leads up we to don't the have big any game. Other, we don't have any other standing questions, do we? I think that's our two. Who would you be two. and what would Trey Wilson be? And now we can all look forward to the real game. Just a... Uh, an... Um, what day is that? Thursday eleventh. Thurs- Thursday the eleventh. Okay. Yeah, August eleventh. Hopefully, I will get this uh, edited and up in time for people. Actually, people probably just listen to this while you're watching the game. You won't miss. You won't really miss anything. Time. Yeah. You'll still get to see the corn, and it'll be pretty. Uh, I kind of wonder. I would be up for if the Reds and Cubs decided simply to stage a production of League of Their Own instead of. I playing, would do that because I, I would, they'd be just as competent at that as they are with actually trying to play baseball these days. Yeah, of eight men out. You mean? Yeah, I, did a, produ- I oh. did a production of Eight Men Out many, many years ago. We should just do that. I so like who that did you play? Who did you play in Eight Men Out? I, I was uh, um, Studs Turkle's character. Oh yeah, yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, they should just do that. That would be better. I'll uh, I'll call Crane. Get, get Crane on the phone. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, there you have well, it. Field hopefully, of I, everyone enjoying that. Field of Dreams. Here we go. Many of us have herpes. I just wanted this to be over. 